Brutal punch. It's a Mascari. Keep your guard up and lead with your left and aim for the faceplate. You are listening to Wolfnet Radio, the show that leads to victory. I'll be your host this evening, Matthew Barons. Co-host tonight, as always, Andrew, the Mineral Crow. Welcome back to the show. Good evening, gentlemen. Hello. Not you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not hello. <laughs> we'll get to him later. But in the meantime, we'll open up with uh, Aaron, the Coach Crow. Welcome back to the show. Go, Pack, go. Go, Pack, go. <laughs> and Thomas, silence. Welcome back to the show. Long live the clan. Which one? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> and Luke Charles Gideon Dirks, welcome back to the show. Hey, good to be here. Tonight we have a special guest this evening, senior art director at Catalyst Game Labs, the energetic Brent Evans. Hello and welcome. <laughs> Feel that energy. He he hit his cue. He hit his cue. <laughs> is it and we didn't mess up. Is it Masakari or Masakari? Masakari. Uh, on the CCG card, it is Masakari. But we will accept Warhawk occasionally. Yes. And tonight we have some topics uh, for the breakdown. News. Interview with Brent Evans. History brief. And Clan Invasion 350 report. Moving on, news. <laughs> First in news, Catalyst Kickstarter roll out of new products hitting homes and stores soon. Does anybody have any info? Perhaps we could have a big winger to let us in. Question mark. <laughs> As with most things that are involving with uh, uh, <laughs> delivery of products that come out of China, I imagine that. We're going to see a sporadic variety of arrival times as fans start receiving their stuff across the globe. Uh, also, what I'm expecting is that some countries are going to get them faster than others, and the United States will not get them first. Uh, so I, I, I'm actually expecting that. Before I'm sorry. You do. Some of us might get them before you do, Brent. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, as but, being uh, okay as being the number one voice and, and, in Battletech, I think uh, maybe Wolfnet Radio Podcast should be a little. A little higher on the list than uh, the UK. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure who's going to get it first. I think Australia may get it fa faster than we do. Um, that makes oh. sense. They well, may get it last. That's because they're time travelers anyway. Oh, no. Gold's going to get it before we do. Boo! <laughs> uh, interestingly, the, uh, I and I could be wrong, but um, from what I understand... It's not who's closest to China. It's who it's your um, your distance from the five international hubs uh, that the the wave one and wave two are going to come through. Mm. Um, so it, it depends on how close you are to the hubs and which hubs get them first. We're not going to delay anybody to try to co coordinate things coming out because good grief, can you imagine the problems? There? No, that would suck. But yeah, just, I'm just happy with uh, <laughs> like the items showing up in people's you know hands and, and putting them on tables and blowing stuff up and posting on social media. So, so yeah. But uh, no, I, I don't have anything specific. I don't know when they're coming yet. But it's still possible that before our next episode, that we might already we might have our invasion stuff. You know, being a gamer, 
and and knowing how much we can gain comments like that, all we have to do is just delay the next episode long enough. <laughs> 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 we'll rule. We'll we'll rule you. We, well we can make that be a true statement. Right. Rules lawyer the hell out of that one. <laughs> I also like the idea of coach that that we're. He, People are going to sift through thousands of uh, orders just to f- dig out our handful and send them out. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this one says priority on it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He he always has had a big head. So. <laughs> That's why he has to go in a garage because he doesn't fit into a normal door. Oh, I couldn't do that anymore. I had to go back to the office. I was roasting in there. Oh yeah, it was too hot. Oh, are you in California, Oregon, or Washington? No. That, <laughs> no. That, that's, that's El Fuego there. <laughs> yeah, it's been so weird because, like, it's been sunny for the last three days. And you can stare right at the sun and not hurt your eyes at all because the smoke is so thick. Oh. That, uh, yeah, we've got some of the worst air in the world right now. Oh. Yeah, Harry, is it, all the people d- victims does, of that. does it smell like a campfire the whole time, too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That sucks. Sympathies to all those out there in the in the fires. It's like we got some camo specs giving away a YouTube celebrating four years in history. Yeah, that was interesting. They, they were offering uh, quite a quite a bit of cash and prizes for that, weren't they? Cash. Yeah, I think Dale. I, don't... I think Dale was giving quite a bit of his stuff away. Wow. Yeah, there's some gift cards and uh, custom painted minis, and nice. like, I think Prosciutto had some stuff in there too. Yep, Brushito. I probably said it wrong. Brushito. <laughs> I just thought it was really funny because they released like a little teaser video. They're like, "Coming in one week, Camo Specs is doing something really awesome." <laughs> and then it came out. It was really cool, but I was like, uh, "I was like, oh." That's what it is. I mean, it's still pretty cool, but I, I was expecting like something monumental or some crazy stuff like that. But what they're doing is very, very oh, cool. I can't believe they've been doing that for four years already. I'm just yeah. happy for any chance I can get my hands on camos but expanded minis. Yeah. You know, like the Archer, just putting that out there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody's got to kick a guy when he's down. <laughs> Pretty much. I I would have liked to buy one of those Turquinas jumping on some other mech from a couple of Gen Cons ago, but somebody bought it before me. Or the yeah. Executioner. It seems like there's a certain somebody that likes to buy up a lot of uh, diorama mechs before there anyone else can a get a chance. Somebody that likes to do that, yes. Yep. <laughs> you know, I got screwed twice last year. I bought the Dragoon <laughs> Alpha Strike, or the Alpha Lance, and that guy took Jamie Wolf's mech. And I bought the Clan Wolf Star, and Dale took that damn executioner out from underneath me. So <laughs> I got hosed. It's cute how you say you got screwed when really you just got outplayed. I'm just that out there. <laughs> don't, don't, it's, it's not being outplayed when you don't have a say. That's that's, that's right. just, that, when that's sad. When we can sad. claim them before day one, it is possible <laughs> that we have an unfair advantage, and I'm okay with that. Don't hate the player, hate the game, man. <laughs> I will use it. <laughs> Um, and uh i'll take the next one news one uh matt because it mostly pertains to me um 
What we're going to start doing, we're doing a new kind of version of the Wolfnut Radio podcast where we're going to include timestamps um, in the the descriptions of the podcast that you download to where you can, if you want, say like, oh, I don't really know much about this Brent Evan guy, but uh, I really love history briefs, man. So uh, you will be able to see where the timestamps are for each uh, topic we have. And if you want, I guess you could skip straight to it. I don't think it's a very nice thing to do but uh <laughs> if you want to you can so that's just one more thing we're going to be uh implementing here in the the next few podcasts going forward so be All sure right, to look for it ladies i was gonna say stop the presses dale's the first guy he's the first guy to take me up on the offer of we have a special guest come <laughs> and give the guy shit and Dale's the first guy to show up. <laughs> I was just gonna, I was just gonna lurk in here. If I stop doing work for Brenton, he's gonna whip me. Welcome. Got to be some good stories. Thanks for joining, Dale. Appreciate it. Yeah, so, man, I'm, I'm not only dropping in for a few. I just got home and I was like, oh wait, I see them in there. Okay, let me drop by for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, who on earth could this random voice be? <laughs> yeah speaking of, of taking the mech right out from under here th- there's dale not selling me the mech that he painted for camo specs but I it's, it's the whole group of people who gave me shit about that that year it's everyone in one room <laughs> we were just talking about that too i was like oh man his ears must have been burning or something <laughs> oh man you know what the worst thing is? You know how hard that thing is? Like, I'm, like, packing stuff up and, like, starting to, like, get rid of some minis and things. That thing is such a terror to put away because it, it's so awkward and takes up so much room and it's got all these spiky little weapon effects all over it. And I'm like, oh, God, every time it moves, it breaks. <laughs> I hope yeah, it tears I, I your all those spiky weapon effects up. that you did on it. Make it <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> Oh man, uh, Dale! Now that you're here, are you involved in any of that uh, camo spec stuff? The the oh, four year anniversary. The giveaway. Say what? Oh yeah. Didn't you have yeah. a bunch of stuff you gave away for that? I am going to be giving away one of those lance carriers I built uh, from Harbor Studios. I'm gonna have one of those. And then nice. for, because I was like, oh, those people seem to like those. I'm like, they're just so handy to have. Um, we got to pop the magnets in there soon, uh, first, too, so the person doesn't have to go buy magnets. Um, and then the other thing was a painted mech that was my choice, because I don't know what I'm going to paint yet. Um, and I, knowing my luck, someone's going to ask me to do, like, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I figured it's going to be some tartan scheme that I'm going to have to deal with. And then I was like, I'm not letting that happen. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to stick to what I know, which is various shade, shades of green. green. Yeah, green, green is my, green is my thing. Green. So I was like, <laughs> At least they know that. They know they're, you know, if it's if it's Kevin, they're getting tiger stripes. If it's uh, if it's me, they're getting green. <laughs> Keep it simple. <laughs> oh, I hope to God I get you there. <laughs> I like green. I mean, you never know. Maybe it's a two-step process. I'll paint it green, and Kevin will tiger stripe it. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, paint, paint one half of the miniature as if it's being painted over by a new clan. 
Oh, <laughs> oh that's... Ryan, Ryan kind of did that for the last um, last year's Gen Con Dio, which I thought was super cool. That's why, I don't know if you noticed, his, uh, his Wolf Max had that, like, urban kind of space dazzle camo, but they had a little bit of green left because they were supposed to be uh, Alpha Keshik. So they had they still had the green patch left by the decal because the text hadn't had time to paint around it all the way, which I thought was like a really nice. cool touch he did. Yeah, I thought that was super cool. It's crazy what you guys he come up put with. A little figure there painting painting on the hex, painting painting the last <laughs> part of the leg. Just just some poor tech ducking down, you know, missiles flying overhead like they're not gonna <laughs> let me get that bonds cord off if I don't finish this. <laughs> you mean you mean those? You could have the start standing there like, why haven't you finished yet? I'm on the battlefield due today. Uh, Very nice. I actually did like What were you showing, Andrew? I have that set. Not all of it, though. That's the set he stole from me, the executioner out of So you're the other guy that bought the rest. Not all of it. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I I think I was trying to match... um, Joel's psychos more than anything was the one I was going with. Um, and I wound up kind of being midway between Ryan's and, and Joel's. Um, oh, but I did, I did wind up taking one of those werewolves home for, for Corey Riordan. Actually, he asked me to grab that for him and, and, and mule it over. So yeah, I, I'm still responsible just in a different way. <laughs> it's, it's my fault. No matter which way we cut it, this is Nailed like it. getting to the end of unbreakable. And it's like, no matter which way you cut it, I am the cause for all this. Like, <laughs> You're going to make it up to I me, so it'll be all right. That's true. <laughs> I think I walked away with one of the two pouncers, and that was it. I was a late right. addition, so I literally was like, I'm going to do one mech, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just gotten in, so I was like, does one sound good? <laughs> one sounds okay, doesn't it? Right? It's better than nothing. I'm going to glue on every little weapon effect and bit I have around, though. Oh, nice. All right, moving along. How about we get to Brent Evans' interview? So, I don't know. I still want to talk about we... the news. You guys uh, see the uh, the Mech Warrior Five um, mod, the Mech Commander mod? Have any of you guys played no. that yet? No. Like the old Mech Commander? Uh, so Mech Warrior Five put out a mod pack for Mech Commander, so you can actually play it now. It's full out of the Mech Warrior Five uh, maps and minis and everything. And it looks amazing, but I've, like, totally maxed out my hard drive, and I need to do a system upgrade. Oh, no. I can't update it and play the stupid game. It's killing me. But I didn't know if one of you guys had. Anybody had any playtime on it? No. I have yet to... uh, I I bought it, and I run Linux, so I I haven't even installed it yet. Oh, wow. I'm I'm waiting on... uh, Until it's on Steam. (laughs) <laughs> I am in the same boat. I have not played a video game in probably 15 years. So, <laughs> oh, you lied. Oh, wait, no. No, wait. I did. I'm, I'm two for two on MWO. So that's right. <laughs> so he retired. I went out. I went out on top. He, he barely got out of spawn, but he definitely claimed, you know, being the reason for the victory. Oh yeah, excellent. definitely. <laughs> well, the best is on so Mech. What? Go ahead. What other news do you have for us, Brent? Yeah, that's have any any one. other tidbits? Any other fun little news bits that we should know about, or that the masses are waiting to hear? Uh, there yeah, are. Go ahead. 
there are lots of diabolical schemes in the works. None of them are quite ready to unveil yet. Uh, but just because there's a lull in the combat that you are aware of, just know that there's a lot happening underneath the surface. Something uh, something that I do want to pin for later later tonight, we had a happy hour last night um, with the <laughs> WolfNet group, and we had a very interesting conversation around what is going to happen after Clan and the concerns that some folks have had on has that been planned and mapped out oh, and yeah. what will that look like so i, I would i want to i want to get into your interview and then i would really like to come back and talk about that at some point in time later but um well we can actually start there it's relatively easy to, to have that conversation well uh, we first need to know, we first need to know who you are the no, roles no, no. and you know what what you've is... done. I mean, social security number, address, beating stuff off, right? So another pudgy bald middle aged gamer. I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> so after ill clan planning, ready set go. Yeah, so it's interesting because, like, we all all uh, obviously everybody that works on BattleTech is a diet, and. So a lot of stuff we get definitely behind the curtain access and feelings and treatment. But uh, there's a whole lot of it that is just we're all fans like everybody else, and here's what we're dealing with. Uh, and, and we saw all kinds of things happening, um, you know, leading up to Ill Clan and um, a, a lot of real-world things throwing a giant curveball wrench into it. Um, you know, kind of like 10 years ago, most people don't really quite remember, but the the – the novel and fiction industry melted down. Uh, what you saw so many major publishing houses out of New York go out of business. Uh, you know, we had the birth of uh, electronic publishing and that changed everything. I mean, a decade ago, there was like Barnes and Noble and Borders and things that people went to on a regular basis for their stuff. Um, that, that whole scene has changed dramatically. Uh, and so there were a lot of things where plots and storylines and things for the Battletech line. Um, they had been designed around the delivery systems for the for the product models that they had access to at the time, which were ever-changing. Uh, and they're drastically different than they are now. Um, so when I stepped in as line developer three years ago for Battletech, uh, a, a big part of it was thinking, okay, we need to overhaul how we deliver products to market and change the way those products are designed because uh as you saw with like the previous uh box set we tried to cram everything in the kitchen sink in that and the retailers over and over said this is too much stuff can you break this into like three smaller two or three smaller products that we can it, it's easier so there isn't this big barrier for entry and you put so much stuff in it that fans are actually afraid to get start playing in BattleTech because it's i mean you, you delivered a freaking encyclopedia of things and game and the that's not the way it should be. So, um, like, it wasn't just me doing it alone in a room. Obviously, the whole battle team, you know, we all bucked down and, like, Let, let's redesign this product line. Let's redesign how we're going to go uh, and figure out how this needs to go to market. And the successes we've seen between the current generations of Game of Armor Combat, Beginner Box Set, and the Invasion Box Set, uh, all those things followed the, the new scheme. And obviously, the fans have reacted that they liked the old. But with that said, 
the follow-up to that is we need to have product going out to fans' hands, and we need the storyline to move forward so that in, in a way that takes the fans with it. So that we all, you know, we've all storyline, we've kind of hit a wall where the writers are making a decision. And they know what decisions they think they need to make, but then the ramifications of that are staggering within the universe. How are we going to do it? And so it really took, you know, like two and a half years worth of, um, I, the joke is the when I became the line developer, the first thing I did, I invited all the to show up at Gen Con meeting, and then I and I said, you're not getting out of this until, out of this room, tonight, now. You're not getting out of this room until you come up next year. Um, and while that was a good joke, I was actually totally serious. I actually did that. <laughs> I, I really did bring in all of our authors. I locked them into a room at Gen Con and said, you're not getting out of this room. Uh, like so, a think tank. Oh, yeah, it was. Uh, an enforced think tank. Uh, like a shotgun wedding think tank. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it, it was fun because that first meeting, they said, okay, well, if we're going to go there, we need a realistic lead into the Battle of Terra. Because uh, the previous plan had taken the books, uh, the idea of a source book for Ill Clan, sent it to solicitation. And there, there was like an outline about three quarters of a page long of what they thought was going to be in that book. And that was going to be the Battle for Terra. And it was done. And I'm like, no. And just so we're clear, the plot lines in that thing, uh, I didn't agree with any of them. I'm like, if you're telling me as a diehard, you know, super long time fan that this is the storyline, you're going to lose me on the spot. No fans are going to follow this. We, this can't be a punt. You can't just punt this because you set it out to solicitation. So I put a bullet in the back of the head of that. And I, and I was very, I said, look, this is not coming out the way you guys expected. I'm breaking this up into multiple products. This is going up. So two years ago at, Gen, uh, at the convention season for the summer, Gen Con, we saw the release of Shattered. And that was, we took the first opening two chapters out of what had been planned for Ill Clan and actually fleshed it into a full source book with material battles and events that made a lot more sense. Uh, and so every single piece of like, okay, what's our plan going to be? Let's flesh that out and let's really talk about, make it believable, make it visceral. We have to see it through the, through the eyes of the characters. You can't just do it like a source book where like, here's the events, here's a briefing on what happened. Good luck. And then pretend that everybody's going to follow along with you because that's not the way you follow something people are in love with BattleTech because we love the universe we fell in love with the characters the houses the stories the, we got that reading a briefing from that stuff is so that's why we brought back the fiction line that's why all of a sudden there's an explosion of uh, of novels and fiction and stories that are happening as we're telling all of those stories that are leading up to the fiction of Terra. Uh, and the, the battles for the invasion of Terra, that's not a, a spoiler. Everybody has known since the Dark Age happened on Grey Month, there was going <laughs> to be a battle for Terra. The question is, what is that going to look like? How is it going to happen? What's going to be the, the repercussions? So your original question is, what happens after the battle for Terra? Have we thought that? The answer is yes. We thought it through for years. We beat each other up, and then... Uh, last year at the Battletech Summit, we then brought in all the writers and the ones that we had added to the crew. Everybody got together. Uh, we actually took pictures of... The, the, I bought a like a gallon-sized bottle of to the meeting. And like 9 o'clock in the morning, we started the shots. not agreeing on anything. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> it was one of those kind of meetings. It was so oh, cool. 
but uh, Blaine Blaine has told us too that you know there was uh, I forget what the I forget what the 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 phrase was that everyone had to take a shot how many times the phrase came up during the conversation and I think it was what would Jamie said, Wolf do? There you go. That's what it was. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, what so, would Jamie Wolf do? So ultimately, you know, obviously the big or one of our one of our latest uh, episodes, one of my favorite comments was uh, we're not finishing till all this fireball is gone. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That was nice. Spencer. Yes. That might have been Schmetzer, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't realize that that was a catalyst work ethic thing that he was just exuding. <laughs> it, it's a creative summit worth it. Work ethic. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you know what? You guys probably had a great time with Spencer because he is hysterical to talk to. But let me tell you, in a creative meeting where you're like the ideas are flying, you all, you all like most people don't. It's almost like stand up. That dude is funny. The stuff that comes out under his, and he's not t- saying it to anybody else's. He'll like under his breath to it, so just thinking he, he only he can can hear it. But man, he utters some of the funniest stuff. It felt like he was heckling Stackpole for a while. So. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's he started to do that. He I bought it on the show the way through the podcast he got comfortable <laughs> and then all of a sudden he started sliding some stuff in and we're like this is gold where were you like the oh, first yeah. half <laughs> oh yeah yeah he got lo- he got loosened up a little bit <laughs> yeah that's awesome anyway <laughs> so yeah the, the question of have we figured out what what comes next uh yeah we absolutely have uh and one of the coolest things i can say is that i know the fans are probably excited to see what happens for the battle of terra um and it is going to be awesome. The battle for Terra is going to be the single most important moment in the battle of history, and it's going to feel like it. Uh, with that said, that just sets the stage for all the stuff that I'm actually really excited for. What happens oh, wow. after Terra? When you okay. like, when you think about, um, honestly, the original battle for Terra was kind of like the battle for Terra happens. It happens. It's, it's actually a short battle, and then it's kind of, you know, the world goes on like normal like the universe keeps going and i'm like no the battle for terra needs to change everything and it and it does right. uh so figuring out what happens next actually repaints like just like any good blaine book where you read the last chapter and you realize you realize like damn now i'm rethinking what that actually meant on all of those previous chapters that i just read that's actually what's going to happen after the battle for terra. The battle for terror is going to have repercussions that are going to um uh, be really exciting to play on tabletops for the next decade. Oh my. So that's that's something yeah, we're we're actually touching on a lot of things that yeah. you know we've talked about with our group here. Um one is um what you just stated about fiction and tabletop and how that can translate especially as a demo agent that I want to be able to take what people have read and feel strongly about and be able to put that on the table for people to to feel like they're a part of that so that's one that's more that's the first thing and then number two is um we we talked a lot about last night was the cadence that we have right now with fiction that's coming out and about every three weeks so it's i can get a book read and then wait days or maybe a week and another thing drops and it's and it continues to roll and um who was it we talked to i think it was spencer talked about um, helpers in how the fiction 
industry has changed, which you alluded to earlier, and the word count in a book. Yeah, yeah. Which is, which you know, our typical Battletech novel that I got all of them over there on, they were, you know, 300 pages, where now we're down to 200. Yeah, and, that was, it was an interesting thing that came about just, honestly, within the last 12 to 18 months. Uh, is okay. learning that you know with being digital delivery systems more and more people embracing the fact that stuff can come out faster fast they want they would prefer shorter fiction coming out more frequently than you know wait a year or two or like patrick Rothfuss, 18 years and you just you know <laughs> wait for the next thing to come out it's nice having that stuff coming out quickly so they can continue to feel like you're getting the steady feed of your mech picks. what do you addiction one yes. one of the things though one of the things though that that I've kind of struggled with a little bit with the stories as they've been coming out is everything feels kind of rushed, right? We we don't really? you, it, from a character from a character standpoint, things feel rushed to me. Like we have to get this character established and we got to get this thing done so we can move the story, and it feels like so much happens and the first half of the book to get everything established <laughs> to tell the story in the last half. For me, it, it feels a little rushed sometimes. It's interesting but... that you're picking up on that because we, we actually intentionally wanted the pacing within the universe to feel rushed. Okay. Uh, and, and part of that is the, the factions are coming, like we saw when the dark age happened and the, the fictions were coming out. And that actually was cool. Cause you know, every other month and, the new novel was coming out but at that point it was everything unraveling and falling apart one of the the pacing things that john helfers and i had worked out and most people don't know this you know when we were looking at overhauling the line and what are we going to do moving forward uh and i made the commitment that fiction has to drive the storyline it cannot be source books it cannot be rule Thank books. You. it must come out in fiction we have to see it through the character's eyes Thank uh you. And, and yeah john, john was john was the the, the lever that I use to apply um, uh, the leverage onto that to make that really happen. So uh, John Helfers and I spent uh, easily a year and a half meeting every single week for a couple of hours, nailing down all of the various plot lines we did to happen. Jesus. Uh, and, and identifying what were those key story point items that had to happen. And part of it was cleaning up what had happened over the course of Dark Age. Because we all saw, like... It, it, I don't know if you guys have talked to, to Lauren or Randall or anybody about it, but when the authors for Dark Age were getting their orders from, from uh, Jordan, he very specifically said, don't explain the blackout, don't explain this, don't explain that, don't even try. I, he, he actively ran interference on explaining why some of those plot things were happening. So the authors were like, okay, we're just going to make some shit up and, <laughs> and, oh, and shit. make it feel like nobody knows. And the other even on the creative side, nobody knew. Nobody knew how Grey Monday happened. Nobody knew what had happened to the HPGs. Jordan Weisman himself did not even know what happened when he made that. He just said, "We don't. I don't want to know. I want it to be this mystery. Um, so, okay. yeah. So when John and I were, were getting together, we're like, all right, I, I've been a diehard. I mean, like, I actually joined Battletech. Uh, my first project, I was hired by Jordan Weisman to step in and help with uh, creating uh, uh, concept artwork for the MetClix game. Uh, my first releases were with Wolfstrike, so with the Wolf Mechs. My first assignment from Jordan Weisman was, we want you to create the, design the mech that Clan Wolf is going to use to replace the Mad Cat. No huh. pressure. 
No pressure. Okay, it's, just, it's just an easy thing, right? Just flip a coin and, yeah, that looks good, right? Um, yeah. And, 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 and no joke, the words out of my mouth when, when Jordan Weissney tells me this, total straight face, he's telling me this, and I realize he's serious. I'm like, the fans are going to hate me. This is not going to go over with. Thankfully, we, were, we came up with some stuff, and it, it worked out well. But anyway, um, so a lot of those storylines had been uh, left just dangling. I mean, so many plot threads from the Dark Age novels had been left dangling. And then the novels basically stopped. So when John and I were saying, we're going to you know, read, bring forth the novels again, we're going to drive this, the, the, the universe with the fiction, uh, that was like, here's my eight-page list of the storylines that were just left dangling or the things that were just handled wrong. Uh, and and let's let's make sure we weave all these answers in over the course of what's coming. So for people that are seeing, like, uh, especially for Blaine's most recent release, he starts tying up things on Rock of the Republic, and those were stories that were created with, during Jordan. Where Jordan specifically said, "Don't I don't want anybody to know the answer to this. Don't I don't know. Nobody should know how it's connected or what impact." Made. Well, and that left dangling for a decade. So for, for to bring these authors back and saying, you finally get to answer questions, think it through, figure it out, tell us what you need. And one of the other things that I did was tell them, you know, like the question was like, well, what, how many words do I get to do it? I'm like, first off, I, I don't have the cred to really be telling Michael Stackpole how many words he needs to be writing. <laughs> no, I'm like, dude, you tell me how many words you need to write the story I will fight to get you the page count that you need to do that. It's just arbitrary other than I'm just pulling. But that doesn't make any sense. Oh, how, how many do you so, need and then cut it by 25%? <laughs> or, or if it's Randall Bills, just multiply it. You know, anyway. <laughs> just multiply it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, anyway, um, like coming up with the stories and nailing that stuff down has, has been a lot of fun. But when we started identifying the pace, we realized that part of the plot lines driving this is that fear of missing out the factions in universe realize if someone else gets there first if someone else takes Terra before we do what does that mean and that ended up like most people don't quite realize just how strong house lao is right before the invasions of Terra. he has lost was it two or three invasion fleets against the wall yeah and yeah, he's, he's still so strong that he is the biggest threat to the Republic of the Sphere. And what I what I really love when it comes through is that when you hear Stone talk about Lao. Yeah. Like he really thinks they are a huge threat, like almost as big right. as the clans, if not maybe more, I don't know. <clears throat> but, uh, well, honestly, it, you, it's a very good point because if you look at the the numbers, House Karita drastically overextended themselves going into House Davian. House Davian got the shits just beat out of them. Uh, House Steiner got trashed on multiple fronts when the Clan Wolf turned on them and carved out the Wolf Empire. Lao is actually the only one. He did the invasion of the, of the Inner Sphere. I mean, uh, yeah, of the uh, Republic of Sphere. Yep. And then pulled back, retooled his military based off of the tech that they realized they had strengths and weaknesses. And when he rebuilt those the, the units that they needed, he ne didn't overextend himself. They crushed that uh, the Chaos March, took those worlds, executed the basically neutralized House Hath and then sat there 
on his strength, waiting for the right moment to strike. He is. It, when have we ever seen in BattleTech that House Lau is actually the strongest house of the five factions? I don't think ever. I mean, never. even with Sun Tzu, I mean, it was just they—they right. they weren't that great. It's—it's it's funny how 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 when House Lau has an actual competent leader, <laughs> they're really <Right>. good. <laughs> Absolutely, because they because their forces always had the discipline. Yeah. But it was always they had beat the system, into it. the training, the experience, the tech, and solid leadership, which is why they were so dangerous. Which actually kind of explains why the clans involved that decide they're going to make a dash for Terra, uh, why they they had that sense of urgency that Andrew was talking about. There is a very big reason. This is a race. Whether you're ready or not, this is going to happen with or without you. Yeah. If you want to be on the in, on the table, you have got to get to the table. Because otherwise, history is going to leave you. Um, so that that was actually a, a big push. Uh, the fact that it feels rushed, uh, we wanted it to feel rushed to the characters within the universe. We wanted it to feel rushed within the leaders of the factions. And we really wanted it to feel rushed for those people cowering behind because their time is coming. They're, yeah. they're, they, most people don't realize that wall was falling. We finally started showing it in, in, Fort, in Shattered Fortress where the wall tech was not a universal here-all, end-all, works-forever tech. It, it has problems, and it's coming down. Well, and, if, what was what was the story? Uh, was it Rock of the Republic where yep. they made the comment about how they were burning up yes. jump ships to keep the wall? Yeah, so, they started, I mean, that... started taking apart... I mean, in, in the era where, where jump ships are so rare and so valuable, they are gutting their jump ship fleet, just desperately trying to keep the Yeah, uh, that was a that was a one of those, like you said, those those little uh, quips and quirks where the authors could now finally start unraveling the, the mystery. I thought that was a yeah. very clever way to do it. It's it, it shows the urgency and the desperation that, that Stone has with the Republic. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And just so we're clear, I didn't come up with that. That was awesome. <laughs> the creative team is awesome. So. Yeah, oh, I come on. them in a the room. They actually created <laughs> They won't know. Well, you can take credit for it. <laughs> well, what yeah. I think it says something about Stone as a character, too, because uh, he's willing to burn jump ships where, yeah. I mean, you, you, you're you looking at the Succession War houses, and they got together and said, hey, let's stop blowing up jump ships. Yeah, jump and ships if, are the magic unicorn nobody can mess with, and he's burning them up. Right, right. Like, what kind of what kind of egomaniac says, "Yeah, everybody's been doing this for hundreds of years, but that rule doesn't apply to me." <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I love the candid nature that Blaine wrote in with. Um, uh, I'm sorry that the former Comstar acolyte Tucker Harwell. These, Tucker Harwell. You, Tucker Harwell. Tucker Harwell calls him on it. It's like, dude, you're gutting jump ships. Don't. You know, he, he's like, he's the voice of reason in this thing. It's funny when you have that voice of reason and he's making snarky comments. And like, he's just laughing under his breath. And so he's like, did I, so, did I say something funny? He's like, yeah, actually you did. You know, he's calling him on his shit right there. It is, it is interesting how Stone is slowly becoming an egomaniacal, just tyrant kind of a guy. Yeah. Yeah, like, the part the part that was just so telling for me was is when he made the comment about the bears, and he said, "I just all I gotta do is call them, and and they'll come." I was just all I gotta do is call them, they'll come, and they're they're mine. It was like, man, that's uh, 
you got a set of balls on you there, buddy. Is that a, is that you a? Know, it's, it's funny because if you look back in the history, now that you start to see what we're doing with him, and then you go back look in history over what he has done, the truth is, he kind of always was that. He kept David Lear as his conscience. Mm-hmm. But David Lear's gone. Tucker Harwell is now his conscience. But he has always brought someone along because he knows that about himself. He has serious character flaws. This is a messed up dude. On a humorous note, the plan back in the Jordan and Dark Age days was that he would come out of the... The plan had always been that he would get awoken. Like, back from when, you know, like, when I was working on Wolf Strike. The ongoing talk was was about, like, yeah, they're going to freeze stone. When he comes out... He's going to be freezer burn. Freezer burn. He, he, he is going to be <laughs> nice, messed up. Nice. Yeah, when he, yeah and, and that was the thing. It was the freezer burn. You just say that and everybody knows what the, what it was, is that he come a little nastier and crazier. He came out like Maxim, Maximilian. I'm like, wow. And I'm like, okay, well, I have no problem. With, none of us had any problem with him freezer burn. Ultimately, it comes down to what makes the best story. If he comes out so raving, incompetent loser, no, that's not fun to read. Give me, right. give me someone I want to root. For. Give me someone that I, I'm hoping is redeemable. You know, give me something that I can really sink my teeth in. That's a believable, relatable character that I actually feel good or bad about, instead of a dude that I could just flush because I. And 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 the the author team did an amazing job. And I will say, Schmetzer's under his mouth comments. It's kind of like he's the voice of whoever's in the room with Stone. Making those comments under his breath, that's just, we're just channeling Jason. <laughs> You're just channeling Jason Smith. Jason Smetcher is Tucker Harwell, and Ziploc bags are lost tech. Can we get, can we get Schmetzer to write the next fiction, the next fiction for Ghost Bears, just call it uh, Stone's Ghost Bear Booty Call? I, I feel like that's a title that needs to happen. Yeah, we'll make sure the call comes in at like 2 a.m. <laughs> Drunk. Man, I really need you guys. I'm so lonely. <laughs> so, Brent, you you made a comment that you know you took over as a line developer a couple of years ago. You got the Kickstarter off, and now you've moved into senior art director. Um, you want to walk us through that? Why 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 the change? We were okay. Well, just we're, so we're clear. I was always senior art director. It, the funny, there never really was another art until three, four years ago, maybe five years ago. Uh, I started bringing on other art directors and stuff. Though a- Anthony Scroggins, for a while, I, he was you know, like the like an assistant art director or art director for Battletech and stuff, dealing with stuff. And then we moved him specifically to handle all of the design and development for the the visual overhauls of all the things that were uh, you know redesigns, uh, 3D models, stuff like that. Uh, I've got. Uh, I've had uh, three different um, art directors for Shadowrun over the years and stuff. And so now I have a designated full-time Shadowrun uh, art director and stuff that is just phenomenal. He's one of the first artists that I hired in over the years. He just became a, an art director for video game companies and stuff. Great guy. Um, but yeah, so like I've always been the guy, all things visual. When when they hired me back in 2000, yeah, they're like, yeah, we want you to handle all the art for, you know, like internationally. Everything that we do for Battletech and Shadowrun. And at the time, uh, also Eclipse Phase. And I'm like, great, okay, good. Uh, so what's my art core? And they handed me six names. That, <laughs> yeah. That's not an art core. That's 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 a wish list, dude, come on. <laughs> so yeah, like in the first six months of me being the art director Catalyst, I ended up hiring, at one point I had almost 300 artists working. 
Jeez. So, wow. uh, yeah. So I, I've always been the guy in charge of. So all of the recruiting, training, development, delivery, all the things with the artists and stuff on an international art course. Uh, that's always been me. And part of that is that I spent at the time they hired me. I think I had 17 years experience as a freelance illustrator. So, okay. um, yeah, I, I'm like I, I went pro in high school professionally all the way through college. And then I became an executive for three years. And uh, I was always illustrating by night, uh, just total workaholic and could never put the pencil down. So, uh, like, I drew comics in the 90s and stuff. It was a lot of fun, interesting times. But, uh, yeah, just the fact that I knew the craft. Uh, I'm, like, seventh-generation artist in my family. So, uh, knowing, understanding the craft of traditionally how you properly create imagery, um, it ends up being kind of a rarity. Uh, and the reason is because when you have somebody that's talented, talent is kind of defined by the ability to go from A to C without ever hitting B. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that description. But no. it, it is. You just people that are naturally talented, they just see it and they can get it out without ever having to go through the steps that got them there. But the problem is most people aren't naturally talented at everything. They're naturally talented at some things like mecha, people, faces, or portraits, or magic, or creatures, but they don't have all of those things at the same time. Uh, and so what happens is that they end up having weak spots, which everybody has weak spots, but if you never were formally trained in the of creating imagery you don't know how to work through those things when you have creative block you don't know okay well it's not coming to me so i actually have to go through the a b c d uh, of how to create an image uh and so part of the reason why i was so effective and and lauren coleman he said dude i have never seen anyone he's like i've been when he hired me he's like i've been in the, in, in gaming for 20 years. i have never seen anyone do what you do take good artists and you make them amazing you take bad artists and you make them good and you do it while basically making them cry. <laughs> they're like, we have never seen anyone be so brutal in a review as you. He's like, I would never say what you say to people and they thank you for it. He's like, I, I can't explain it, but clearly you know what it is. And you, it's yeah. When you tell somebody like, okay, well, here's what you did wrong. And here's why I can tell that, and here's how you get past that, and I will just lay out five steps of here's the tricks that you know, because once you have the tricks of the trade, it suddenly becomes easy, and you can do it quickly. So all I got good at was communicating the tricks of the trade to helping people get, you know, master the craft of creating visual imagery, which is why I've been effective in the role. So that's, I've always been the artist. Um, but I also, along the way, became a formally trained game designer. Um, uh, I, I'm actually... I graduated from the University of Washington's Game Design and Development Program, and I'm now currently on the board of directors for that program. So th there's a lot of things involved there. I, I, I've got some chops. And I, all the things of, like, when you work with best-selling authors day in and day out, you ask them questions and you pick up stuff along the way about how to craft a proper story. Uh, and I'm not saying I know how to properly craft a story. I just know when something goes terribly wrong, here's why I can spot it and say, okay, I, I, here's what's not working and here's why I think it's now you guys go figure it out since you guys know I do. So, uh, yeah, so the when it came down to me taking over, like, how did it happen that I became the art, or that I went from art director to, to line developer? Uh, ultimately, if you had seen, um, there was, Herb had a massive amount of time as being line developer. Uh, and honestly, he was a line developer during a very, very difficult time in gaming and publishing. Uh, he did an amazing job with with the realities of the environment. Uh, and after he uh, was no longer in the position, Randall Bills 
stepped into the position, but the honest truth is Randall Bills was handling the, the design and development for every game the Catalyst was producing. He had no time for Battletech. He, he really didn't. So after a couple of years of just basically watching the forums melt down and the product line just not going out on nothing was flowing and everything kind of just ran to a standstill. Uh, I argued with Lauren Coleman enough that he said, I, be, I think he basically gave me the job just to shut me up. <laughs> Fine, you do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, dude, he's like, no, you can't do that. I was like, no, I'm serious, you can do it. Here's what you need. And like, perfect example. And, and he still laughs at this. He's, he, he, he wins either way. But he's like, <laughs> he, he didn't think we needed to prove he didn't it, say it, that again. He didn't think we needed maps, and, oh. and it and it killed me. Like me arguing over and over, like, dude, we sell a game that in order to play, people have to go to eBay and buy maps that are like seventeen years old because we don't produce maps for the games that we're making. This doesn't make any sense. Let me make maps, you know, <laughs> it, it, like things that seem relatively straightforward. You know, like the, it took the brick and mortar stores coming back to us saying. You put way too much stuff in your introductory box set. Can you break this up into smaller things and give us to it? And that's why we now have the beginner box in the Game of Armor Combat, which, by the way, best-selling products we've ever produced. Uh, some of the best-selling products in the history of Battletech. And uh, it, to be honest with you, I mean, the miniatures, the product, everything is, is the best. You're right. It's the best that has been out. Yeah. Although... Although one thing that we were talking about last night too was is that in a game of armored combat, we have alpha strike cards, but no yeah. alpha strike rules. That was actually intentional. Okay. Uh, we okay. we did. If you recall, we did that at the time that we then re-released the new alpha strike rulebook. Commanders. Yep. 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 Yeah. So uh, what it ultimately came down to when we did uh, focus groups between retailers and the demo agents. Uh, and, and of course, in both of those, you get a variety of answers of some people like different things. It's not like it all came back to everybody had the same one answer. But ultimately, what it came down to is if we were using the beginner box to hook brand new people to the game. And that is the gateway drug that leads them straight into the game of our combat. Including both sets of rules, more than half the time confused the people coming in if they didn't know what they were looking for. Sure. Okay. So ultimately, the choice. Uh, in fact, I actually believe uh, Randall made the call, which was a really hard call because the, um, like, literally, the the gaming trifecta is me, Randall Bills, and Ray Raskia. Ray's the current line developer for BattleTech. If anybody doesn't know, yep. Uh, yep, we and, talked um, to him last last podcast. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, Ray's two podcasts ago. Totally awesome. Two podcasts. So, um, Sorry. yeah, for people that don't know. Uh, Ray is Mr. Alpha Strike. He, I mean, like, he, that is his game system. He thought that was going to be the hear-all, end-all, be-all, savior of, of, uh, of the property. Uh, he is all in on Alpha Strike, and he's the biggest proponent for Alpha Strike. He loves Alpha Strike. Big-time Alpha Strike guy. Uh, and so to actually make the decision between the three of us that we had to cut those rules out of the game of armed combat, um, that was hard. I mean, that behind closed doors, that was a hard decision to make. But ultimately, we realized... We will be able to supply the demand for the Alpha Strike game and rules outside of this box. This box, once again, it's like the beginner box is the gateway drug. That just they'll, they'll play that three to five times, and they will absolutely graduate straight into the combat. The game of armor combat, what, it only had, what, eight mechs in it? Yep. They're yep. going to graduate out of that, too, which is why we made such a big push to do, okay, let's clan invasion and what happens next and expanding the, you know, the various... 
uh, uh, boxes that, that can add on to that. So we really expand people's access to the universe. But honestly, those two products, those were just the the way of getting people really into the universe. But so, you're right. Not having them in there was of, weird. So I wanted to ask then, so you we just talked about Alpha Strike. Can you tell the story how Alpha Strike came about and then kind of what is what's your thoughts on Alpha Strike as far as how it pertains to Battletech as a whole as a game system um, you know in, in the modern a, era yeah those are really interesting questions um, I was not intricately paying attention to rule set discussions when Alpha Strike came about so I really can't speak to that the Ray will know everything hook line will know every aspect um, at that point, I was really just paying attention to making sure I had was creating the images that we need to, to tell the story. And um, I, I really it wasn't on my radar. With that said, uh, there, but you know, like uh, Wizard of Oz, you know, pay attention, no attention to the man behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've just told you the people behind the curtain: me, Ray, and, and, and Randall. Well, we're not the only one behind the curtain. There's a lot of other people back. And, and causing a rock. So uh, among those various people, you've got Jordan Wiseman stepping in and out from time to time. You've got Lauren Coleman. You've got all of the authors. You, you know, there, there's a lot involved there. There's also uh, the our main liaisons uh, in the distribution area where they're keeping an eye on the entire industry as a whole. Like, wh what are the trends for role-play games? What are their trends for this type of game? Miniatures games. The books, all of it. They're, they're constantly got their fingers on the pulses of things and trying to extrapolate what they think this means for where the industry is going, where tabletop, uh, you know, where is it starting to change between core hobby and, and mass market, stuff like that. So there's a lot of, uh, of uh, communication input going in that you kind of all have to filter through to, to make calls. One of the questions uh, had always been that Jordan has this magical ability to create something completely new. So like when he did mech clicks, he was like, let's do pre-painted minis at a bigger scale, different point in the timeline, completely to change up the factions, make a new rule set, make everything new, and that's what the game needs to be uh to be exciting. And it's hard to argue with somebody who sells multiple millions of them. So uh, I'm not he, there's there's no way to say that he was wrong. Um, but when you look at it, you realize the Battletech tabletop players didn't all go that route. A lot of them stayed playing their meta, the Battletech miniatures game that they know and love and have had for decades. They didn't need to go buy uh, a garage's worth of, of, you know, plastic miniatures that had that. Uh, and so one of the ongoing questions is, uh, let, well, let me back up that statement just a little prior to, um, me, Randall, and Ray overhauling the line and getting the new current generation of the game out. The question was, how do we make Battletech? How do we make it a viable thing? Because it really had just stagnated without the ability to produce plastic mechs, without the ability to produce novels and stuff, trying to drive the line, telling the story through source books, which is a really funky way to kind of deliver a, a narrative. Um, you know, there were some things about how do you make it really the heyday of what it was back in, you know, like, 1992. Uh, do you need a new rule system for that? Don't you? And one of the arguments forcing you need a new rule set to make Battletech popular again at the time 
uh, had to do with look at the way other games that are doing really, really well. Uh, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, Warhammer and the way that game is played, when you look at other miniatures games and the way those games are played, are they faster? Do, you know, is a lot more units on the board? You know, what, all the nuances of, of how it comes down. And I believe that the drive for Alpha Strike, the, the selling argument for let's try a new rule set that does a lot faster play, was simply that if you want to sit down for a lance and a lance with Battletech and play that out, you're playing two to three hours. Yep. A lot of gamers, especially if they've, they're new to Battletech, they don't love the universe. They're not there for all the houses that we all know and love. They don't have the nostalgia from 1992. That may be a big pill to swallow for the barrier. Why don't we find a way to make it a faster play game so that especially younger players... Uh, like, if you're hitting an 8-year-old, most 8-year-olds, when they look at Battletech, they don't see the guy sitting around for 5 on 5. On five. They're going to... Uh, the 12 on 12 for 45 minutes, I'm in. Yeah. And, and they yeah. can jump into that. And, and so, ultimately, your question to me was, um, you know, how do we feel about the, the two differences? I feel they're very much the same as, do you want to play Mech Commander or do you want to play Mech War? Sure. If you want to play Mech Warrior and you want control of your one mech and you're looking through the cockpit and you're blowing the guy up, you want the standard classic game. If you love Mech Commander, where you want to be running your 12 guys around and hitting the secondary objectives and, blow, you know, and, and trying it a different way, and then you can, you know what, let's mi mix that up and then try that over with different units. And you can just do it on the spot. You know, being able to play 12 on 12 and be done in 45 minutes, that's, all, that's a totally different gameplay experience. Um, so I, I think there's absolutely a place for both. Uh, uh, I, I enjoy both. My personal game is the nitty-gritty all the way down in the weeds. Uh, and yet I know that when we look at the demographic stuff, uh, I don't know if you guys know, but Australia Australia loves Alpha Strike to a degree that is staggering. Yeah. Um, they, they are hook, line, and sinker all in on, on Alpha Strike. And they have major events that are just all Alpha Strike. So... Hey, I honestly don't care. So long as somebody's playing Battletech Universe and they're having a good time blowing stuff up and, you know, arguing about whose clan mech or interstellar mech is better, then <laughs> it, it's all good. We're all part of the same thing. Uh, Australia yeah. is actually, like, I think, our number two or three listen-to country. And nice. we talk we talk quite a bit of Alpha Strike, so that, that makes sense now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, honestly, they're a very passionate fan group. It. For those of you that don't know, behind the scenes, behind the curtain, Randall and I have been petitioning to Lauren to send us to Australia for like seven years. <laughs> we want to go. Let's go support Perth. We need to go help Perth. They, I, clearly, they need some, some, some love down there. Yeah, I was excited to see all the people that you know support the, the Kickstarter for how many of them were from Australia. Yeah. I, I think we actually even have our own one of the one of the uh, regiment companies are all Australians I think I think they're yeah. in, they're in third I think so yep shout out to third again <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say in the upcoming battles for Terra uh, some very interesting things happen in Australia Australia really? is not ignored in any way shape or form. they are right front and center oh man Just that's like gonna be awesome risk Oh yeah! They're, oh, oh yeah! They're gonna geek out so bad on that. <laughs> oh, oh man, Blaine Pardo—he—he—he he, he was so looking forward to fighting an Oscar. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, that's cool. Yeah. What uh, do you think? What What do you think is your favorite part of your job right now? Ooh, 
that's fun. <laughs> um, Working from home? <laughs> no. <laughs> My job has always been working from home. I didn't <laughs> now, one of the, I would say one of the, uh, the twofold. Uh, first off, um, I had one of the shortest stints as the line developed in, in Battletech history. I was only line developed for, for two and a half years. And the reason is because I didn't fit the normal role for line developer. Really what I was is um, they needed a front man. You know, like like any good band, you need a front man to kind of get everybody on the same page going roughly the same direction so that, you know, everybody had kind of like spun off and was going in their own direction. I channel the crazy cats and get them all going in one direction. So uh, ultimately, that's what I was doing. Uh, I, I got Battletech exactly where I wanted. It was a perfect time to hand off. There was nobody in the world could be better for the role than Ray. So I'm super excited to hand it off to Ray and, and have him go nuts. And yet, um, when I handed it off, just in, like we talked about the storylines that I was meeting every week with John Helfers for, uh, and, I, and I'm not joking, when I handed the line to Ray, there were 37 novels or pieces, major pieces of fiction that were in development that I did not see going. I, I, I was done and had to step away, and then they carried on under their own momentum. So those, more than half of them still have not come out, obviously. These are storylines that are developing and, and, and unrolling as they go. But it has been really, really exciting to see things um, like Greywatch Protocol, yeah. Um, uh, the uh, uh, <laughs> Grey Watch Protocol is one of the most exciting, but uh, honestly, the ones, the Anvil, um, the various stories that have started to come out already. The funny thing is, I never saw the final drafts of those. When really? I was a line developer, I was actually doing final review on all content, uh, but very few of those stories actually made it all the way to release before. I stepped away. So now uh, it's funny because all the editing adjustments and story changes and things that are happening, which are totally normal over the course of any piece of fiction going through the design and development process, they're coming out and I'm reading them like, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. <laughs> so that so the the new fiction coming out is all fresh for you then? Yeah, I mean, and, and it's been kind of fun to see like which pieces from our original concept survived and which ones <laughs> totally didn't and what they did with it and made it better. Uh, but yeah, so that's actually one of the fun things is like seeing what happened. Like, I, I, I don't know I, who's going to win. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was pretty pretty entertaining. I still have. I, I'm really looking forward to the second. Greywatch Protocol is the first of a two part uh, battle for, um, which is uh, part of the fiction that was actually told during uh, Shattered Fortress. There were a couple of of chapters that were important that happened in Shattered Fortress where I said, now these need to be fiction. So Shell Games was one of them. Uh, the Anvil was one of them. Greywatch Protocol, and then the book that, that will come out after that next year uh, was one of them. And there were, there were like four or five different things where I'm like, these need to be stories in and of themselves. They need to just be hinted then. And then one, once you read them, you'll go back to Shattered Fortress and go, oh, oh, oh yeah, this was such a, a cute little teaser, but it's nothing compared to what that part <laughs> the book. So, yeah, Andy. So we have to wait for the second book for Greywatch till next year? Did you just say that? <laughs> That's horseshit. I, he, the no, way he left it, that story, I I texted him immediately when I got done. I was like, "Dude, great book." That's how you're gonna leave the story? No, that was half the story. Now let me I tell know. you why you're waiting long. I'll order you a new bucket for the tears. You're gonna be crying. <laughs> oh man! It, just like everything for me, you know that when it finally comes out, you're gonna be glad we did it the way we did it. 
but let me let me lead you in on a little tip. Here's the other part that I'm loving so much about with battle. So this is going to be a teaser. Uh, it's actually a reveal. Um, <laughs> I, I actually haven't told Mary about this, so she may not oh, yes. know. <laughs> <laughs> so as all imperfect things happen here in the world of, of Catalyst, um, we had an idea. Uh, you know, obviously the stories for Greywatch Protocol and what was going to happen on the battles for Northland and the lead-in for what's going to happen leading that into the invasion of Terra because it has a big impact on what happens with the invasion of Terra. Um, with that said, working on lots of stuff. You guys know the artist. Um, he goes by Spooky, Florian Mellies. He's been doing a lot of our covers and artwork. You've seen his stuff over the last couple yeah. of years. He's been amazing. Yeah. One of the things that, that he has done that is unlike anything anybody else has done is that he's the guy that built all those buildings from the from the uh, uh, the map set grasslands, you know, okay. the bases. Yep. He built all yep. the buildings. He actually built them in 3D. And when he did it, it's so that when we, um, depending on how you move, position the, the building in the hex, he wanted the shadows to be able to be accurate when coming from all six directions. What? So he, he built those bases in 3D. Uh, wow. and, and he, they look amazing. Like it's funny because they look cool from top down, but when you look at like side and stuff, he's actually started using those as uh, things in the backgrounds for images as we continue to move forward. So you'll continue to see that stuff coming as we're building a library of building structures and stuff. Uh, so we did a lot of cool stuff with that. Our first actual mech bay uh, repair facility on a map, you know, things like that. That was really really cool. Well, I was like, okay, well, we got a lot of stuff with the HPGs coming up, and we got the story with the battle for Northwind over. The only surviving Star League era HPG. I said, Spooky, can you build me an HPG? In fact, I want you to make me three different <laughs> sizes so we can use them in different places and stuff. Build me three structures. He's like, okay, how big do you want these dishes? I'm like, dude, <laughs> these dishes are friggin' huge. <laughs> now, just so we're clear, like you guys remember Archer Christophori and the Penetrator fighting in front of that yep. thing? And, and you yep. saw the dish behind him, and you knew it wasn't close to behind him, and that thing was just massive. Yeah. Massive, yeah. Huge things. And that was not a Star League era dish. They get bigger than that. So I was like, <laughs> I want the smallest one to look like the one that's behind Archer Christophori. And then I want you to get bigger from there. And I'm not Jesus. joking. He when he turned in the the HPG because it's a full on complex like the HPG complex it, it it's got power yep. systems and things like it's huge mm -hmm. the the Star League era me mega complex it actually fills a normal battle thing. that's how big <laughs> this is uh, I'm not how joking. big's the dish how big's the dish um I think it's nine hexes nine hexes wide oh jeez nine hex circle. <laughs> Oh my god! Now it's not—it's not like aimed straight up. So you, you see right. it as an oval. It, it looks like a dish. But anyway, so Spooky turns in these amazing HPGs, and it, and we just you know like I just got in the cover for Greywatch Protocol, and I know that the next battle is going to be happening. Uh, let's just say the dish will be close by the battle. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> um, so I ran this idea by Randall and Reyes. And this is how all things happen, is that we come up with a crazy idea, it spins out of, wildly out of control and snowballs into a monster. So that, that, that's how this works. I said, that's, all fair. Right. So I, yeah, that's fair. Totally. Spooky, give me this cool thing. All I have to do is show you know, cool art in front of the guys, and I'll say, here's what I want, and they'll be just starry-eyed, and they'll say yes to anything I say because I showed them. 
that's usually how I get things. And I'm not joking. Lauren will completely back me up on this. I, every director's meeting, I'm like, okay, I want this. Here, look at this cover I just got in. <laughs> and that's how I get approval for stuff. The ringmaster. Just sign this yeah, totally, while you're looking totally. at this cool stuff. Yes, yes. Distraction, distraction, cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. So here was my idea. What that's if awesome. next year for the worldwide event, we do the worldwide event mm. as the battle for Northwind that takes place during the second novel that follows Grey, uh, um, Grey Watch, Grey Watch Protocol. Grey Watch Protocol. I said, what if this is the worldwide event, and if for the last couple of years, like we try to do new maps for the worldwide event. They're actually the most downloaded items, on, and they're free. And we format them so that people can print them at home. And we format them in black and white in case people are deployed and they only have access to a black and white printer. Nice. Thank you for so doing that. So everybody on an deployment can, can play those. That's awesome. Um, make it as accessible as humanly possible. Give everybody a chance to play this. All we really care about is people playing Battletech. That's the goal. Let's make this as cool as possible. So I said, well, what if we do it, and instead of being four maps, we do six? <laughs> and it is the city around the HBG complex. Holy shit. And we run the worldwide event for 2021 is the battle for Northwind. And we release it alongside the second novel of the battle for Northwind. <laughs> and what if we change the next map set instead of being a lunar set? Let's push that farther down the road. Let's do a city set. Let's expand that to 12 maps to, for the map set. Around it. The first six will be Northwind. And the next six will be other stuff that you can add to it. Like, what if we went all the way down the rabbit hole? <laughs> and what if alongside both of those things dropping, we have a playable scenario that's actually like a source book material, like turning points. But let's expand it out so it's like 75 pages. Let's really go all the way down the rabbit hole. Make this a super cool gamers playing in the universe event that happens at the same time. So it's all hitting at once. Like the old Northwind source yeah. book. Where you have the each battle with the maps and the units and <laughs> well, see, and now you're no longer mad at me for holding back on the delivery date. <laughs> I, I, I am I am still a little bit because I really want to see how the story ends. But I, I get now it. you want to see the map I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> I think my my favorite part of the whole plan is you got uh, the Capellans with their Dark Age mechs. You know, it's brought up multiple times in Grey Watch. Uh, how they have the, the the bleeding edge mechs, yeah. But but for all of the uh, the old school guys that just really want to play their thirty twenty five tech, there's totally a way to be a part of the worldwide event. And, Absolutely, you know, break out their it's old nice. warhammer. That is yeah, awesome. Nice, nice how they how they use the the Kickstarter with all of the mechs that are going to be able to be shoved right into that game and say, here you go. Yeah. It's almost like you guys wave, know what you're all, doing. Wave one will definitely be out. You'll have time to paint them. Uh, wave two should have been, uh, unless something crazy happens, like a comet hits the earth, people will have their wave two products <laughs> and stuff. And it, 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 there's just so many ways that this will be amazing. Well, so now, now we, we just need. It, go, ahead, go ahead. Sorry. It was it was something that we talked about last night too. So I had uh, James Topa and we had uh, Mark and myself nice. and. I think there was another agent that was on too, where we we were kind of talking about the worldwide event and you know what what would make that worldwide event better, 
Yeah. And it would be, you know, for me, the worldwide event always comes out and it's been adjusted so you can use painted miniatures that you already have to fill out so you can actually go play. But I've always had such a hard time with it because the worldwide event is a premier event. I don't want to show up with mechs that are, well, here's the gray watch protocol and here's some other stuff that I threw in just because they're already painted. They don't match. doesn't look right. So the thought that we had last night or that we were kind of kicking around was, is what if you had a way to build up to, instead of doing the worldwide event and releasing it for Gen Con, what if you released it in January or February, which gave people an opportunity to paint things and have a culmination battle at Gen Con where people had painted miniatures and you could have this massive battle of really neat playable uh, stuff. It was something we were kicking around. We can talk later. It, it's an it. interesting idea. The truth is, I think that the demo agents get the worldwide event in April, if I remember correctly, roughly speaking, assuming things work the way they're supposed to. Um, and then they're played across, you know, Origins and the various summer summer convention season and stuff like that. But um, uh, the question of uh, trying to make them paintable, that's honestly been a tough one. And and. I think that's kind of a growing thing. Mary's done, done an amazing job. Mary and Alex and, and the whole demo team Absolutely. on those, yeah, getting those out. We know a couple of years ago we worked out with Ironwood Metal so that they were selling all of the mechs as a package. Yep. Because I think it was like 179 mechs or something. I mean, it was a huge number, of, not just mechs. It was a, it was a big support, deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, honestly, I, I think they're open to any of a variety of ideas. I don't think there's one right answer to that. And and it's funny because we all. Those of us that are used to going to Gen Con, we like to think of as Ge- of Gen Con as that's the high point in you know that's the part that you're hitting it. But you know, as we've seen with the the Kickstarter success and stuff, there's a huge percentage of our of our players and fans that they can't go to Gen Con every year. That mm-hmm. that's not they don't have that, the access. So uh, trying to find a way to that, so that you're absolutely right. It's it's known in advance. People know what it is. People can go ahead and you know paint their stuff up and play it. You can come the time. Uh, I, I think Mary's done a good job of, of making sure i think it's like a six month window where uh, player groups can paint their stuff and and uh log in their participation data and stuff uh into it and and i i can't thank the demo team enough what they do for this game is beyond amazing so i, I just love our, our demo team and stuff uh but i know that uh, if you want to lead the charge and, and take over that uh, she would be happy to delegate any any really <laughs> role for we're we're actually trying to get our 350 built so we can have a, a a repeatable and playable Alpha Strike tournament. So nice, that's cool. Which I've sent you. I must not have read that yet, but that's he that's gets cool. four thousand emails a day, man. <laughs> <laughs> Send it to him through Kickstarter comments. <laughs> yeah, on the week it's funny. Every time now that we you know, like you post on the website the Friday, Talon will post the Friday update for the week. And then I'll come in on Monday, and I'm like, just pages, just pages and pages of all the comments. Oh, my so, goodness. Yeah. Okay. Well, what else want to know? anybody else got questions? I, I've, I've been, I've been kind of well, since lead. So. Since you said you don't know much about the fiction, where it's going, and everything's fresh, what's uh, what's your money bet for Clan? You don't want my money bet. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, uh, 
there are so many cool things uh, about Ill Clan. Uh, the one, the I think the thing that I'm personally, as a total Battletech geek, the most excited about, I actually can't tell you because <laughs> it, it's a well, it's something that nobody knows. One one thing nobody I really outside the design team knows. One thing I really like was what you said is you're really excited for what happens afterwards. Because that's, oh, yeah. that's been in the back of my mind, like, okay, we're going to have this huge... Because I'm, I'm basically equating Ill Clan to basically, you know, how big the clan invasion was. And I, I'm assuming it's going to be probably even bigger than that. Yeah, what happens but, after the invasion of Terra yeah. uh, is absolutely going to be bigger. And the reason is because the clan invasion didn't actually invade all of the houses. No, no. It, inv- it invaded a wedge of, of worlds... And all of the houses got together because they realized eventually if we don't band together now, we're all going to die. But they, it didn't really impact all of the houses at the same, all of the factions. When one faction takes Terra, yeah. the ripple effect expanding out from there will affect all human space. That is going to be eventually. awesome. It, the question is, and, and you got to wrap your head around this. How long will it take people to learn about it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are no HPGs. No it's HPGs. Not like somebody goes right. and takes Terra, and then suddenly the Magistry of Canopus is like, oh, shit, we got to go do some stuff because there's the thing. Now, Terra and Concordia, it's not instantly going to get, oh, we got a daily fast. Now there's something happening on Terra. <laughs> they don't care. That's a long ways away, and it takes a long time for to get out. And whoever does take Terra, uh, and just so we're clear, could very well be the Capellans, um, they're not going to go telling everybody oh look we won look at us (laughs) no that's not how they would communicate that they would have a totally different way of communicating that so i'm really looking forward to it yeah the repercussions of what happened i will say will mean that it doesn't matter what faction you like to play you will get to fight battles in that faction yay (laughs) that's awesome um i just noticed we did have a little factions we just had a little tidbit here. What's your favorite faction? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, he asked, what's my favorite faction? Uh, so I will admit, um, it, everyone on the creative team has a faction. We, we all have one that we we kind of speak as the voice of. Um, Randall Bills is House Karita. Uh, Lauren Coleman is House Lau. Um, well, that's uh, why they're so powerful now. Uh, that- oh. <laughs> I uh, see how this works. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know who Herbs was. It may have been Merrick. Um, but uh, uh, for me, Wolf. And Wolf. Plan Wolf. No <laughs> doubt. And, and just so we're clear, it is not because of the novels and Phelan Keller or anything like that. No, it's because my first job from... Jordan Weissman was to replace the mat, you know, design the mech that Clan Wolf uses to replace the Mad Cat. I'm like, ah, oh, they're gonna hate me. You know, fr- from then on, the moment I got to de- de- design the the Warwolf, the Wolf, and the Carnivore Assault Tank, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, now, now I'm, I've been, I, I absolutely love uh, Clan Wolf. Uh, with that said, I had nothing to do with the, the Clan Wolf storyline at all at any point in time along this way, including the Ill Clan stuff. It was. But once again, I just locked the authors in the room. I never once said who's going to do what. So, well, that's that's awesome. Along with uh, along with uh, designing chassis, do you have any favorites? Oh yeah, oh yeah, um, the Wolfen. It, 
Tommy's Tommy's laughing. (laughs) The number of times that I've taken the Wolfen in Masters and 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 obliterated people. Uh, You have a mech that can go 10, 15, 20. (laughs) That's nuts. And it doesn't matter if you have almost no guns. You're so mobile that you're able to be effective anywhere on the battlefield, no matter how big the map. Uh, I love that. I'm, yeah, you I'm a huge. Pretty. Un- you just have to yeah. perform. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, I'm like, uh, I can be. I have almost no guns, but I can be effective. Tommy's I'll take mobility over to firepower every time. Tommy's been uh, educating I, I us on the Wolfen. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the second one is the Dola. Uh, this okay. that one for those of you that don't know it. The Dola is. It looks, honestly, it looks cool. It was a design challenge. Try to make the mongoose look cool. What's wrong with a mongoose? Nothing. <laughs> it just looks like a piece of poop. I'm like I didn't want a pilot to walk. Wow. Cool oh my so, god. Yeah. Shots you give a jump fired. jet. You give it kick-ass jump jets and a freaking awesome. sword. Suddenly the mongoose becomes cool. So yeah, coming with a dola that you know is incredibly mobile, and it, it, as soon as that thing gets within range, you're hosed. Because if it wins command, it jumps behind you and it hits you with a sword. And if it loses command, it jumps away from you, gets into terrain that you can't hit it, and waits for it to win command again. <laughs> you cannot disengage with this stupid... Hey, look at that wolf. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so those are two of my favorites. Uh, of of the, the mechs I haven't designed, um, the Sha Yu, I think, is just a... Fin- uh, the Stealth with the PPC? Amazing mech. Yeah. Incredibly playable mech. Um, I've always thought the the look of the Rifleman and the look of the... Uh, the um, the behemoth were just so amazing just in like that whole 1992 this is what the coolest sci-fi can possibly be i, I just thought they were awesome just so cool um yeah so i, I love a variety of mechs, but in terms of playability and yeah, I, I love mobility i, I i'm all about mobility so i so, think i've probably paid shadow cat more than any mech ever okay so i know i know from past i know because blaine is blaine has made some comments about you uh, statting out he he's what did he say at the summit that he statted out a mech and you said oh that's cute and <laughs> and tweaked it a little bit i don't so, remember saying cute so uh, yeah what what i i guess my question there is is that i i know that you stat out quite a few mechs and do you in the clan era it, it seems like people don't necessarily have to learn tactics of how to play a mech anymore. It's just fire everything all of the time and you'll be fine. Oh, I hate do that. You, oh, God, I hate do that. you build in? Do you build in the quirks and and where you have to figure out how am I going to play this mech? How is it effective on the battlefield? Yeah, and, and how how would it be played? So for me, you know, like most mechs are not all purpose, and and any mech that is a all purpose mech usually kind of sucks. Yep. Um, I know exactly what Mac Blaine was talking about. It was the Dominator, which is has now come out in the um, uh, Divided We Fall. Divided We Fall, yep. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I just want to point out, you know, I talk about cool things I get to do now. Uh, this was a mech that we designed, had Matt Plaw give the TRO, and then I took that art and gave it to a new artist, Battletech, uh, Tan Ho Sim, who's been just doing some amazing work. It's the first time that the TRO art actually was the painted art for the cover. It didn't get changed, didn't get, you know, didn't, no point of view change. Like, no, P- 
paint this thing up. Just use this as an underpainting. Give me a painting with this mech. Bring it to life in color. Slap it on the uh, cover. It was totally cool. So, yeah. cool. anyway. Yeah, that's love awesome. about little stupid stuff about that. <laughs> Even Ralph Bill's like, we've never done that. That's such a good idea. Why didn't we do that before? Why don't we do that more often? <laughs> Seriously, we should totally do that more often. But, um, yeah, so the, the Dominator, uh, Blaine is uh, Blaine is an author first. Um, I'm still the only one on the, desi- on the design and development team that plays rapidly, often, and regularly. I have been playing every single, every other week uh, with the same player group for, I think, 20 years. Jesus. Uh, and just so we're clear, I'm a gamer that only plays, I only play Battletech. You, you only play Battletech, okay. Yeah. So, like, Randall's like, oh, yeah, did you see the new game? Like, are there mechs in it? No. Mm-mm. No, I play Battletech. <laughs> all I do is play Battletech. <laughs> in all of its incarnations, I all it. I do is I <laughs> So, yeah, in terms of... Uh, like how far down the rabbit hole do you go I, i'm an unusual duck i get it I just battletech is my jam that I, i'm totally hooked on the universe i think it's just the best uh but yeah so Me too. like blaine wrote the, see i'm not the only one thank you <laughs> um, yeah so blaine wrote the background for the dominator sent it to me i'm like okay that's cute it, it, it totally worked it makes sense but if you're telling me alaric wolf the master tactician didn't look at that and think of ways he could make it better. I'm going to disagree with you <laughs> because it, it, this is an era where Alaric Wolf is specific. He has been planning the invasion of Terra since before he got his ass kicked by Anastasia. Correct. Okay. This dude has been <laughs> single-mindedly planning how to take Terra since Victor Steiner Davian's uh, funeral. Funeral. Yep. Where he was doing his kata and he was angry. And they were like, man, this dude is just so ferocious. What the hell? He's stealing because he's on Terra and he's gonna he has to leave and come back and retake because he's like I mean, like really you think about this guy's mindset. He's a messed up dude. But he is just single single mindedly, I want to take Terra. Clan Wolf needs to take Terra. So he is designing units. What am I going to need to take Terra? So the idea behind the Dominator was not I need a good mech. Not, I need a fightable map. I, not, I need to win duels. It's, I need to beat super heavies. Yeah. How do I beat super heavies? And just like anybody that played Metclix, you start realizing the way to beat super heavies is you get a combined force unit that specializes in very specific things, and you play against its weaknesses. The Dominator is absolutely meant to take advantage of its weaknesses. It is not meant to fight alone. It is meant to fight with a coordinated set of units that are going in, and not just the super heavies. Because if you if you like really paid attention to the way the Republic of the Sphere built their military, like the units they were producing in you know behind in Prefecture Ten, what they were building out with the the Prefect, the Lament, all of the units they had been built. They actually built a wicked badass force that was really. Uh, flexible uh, and did not have to rely heavily on uh, on ammo dumps and stuff like that they could they could long forays behind enemy lines that were totally fine um, and they had a lot of very te- very good technical advantages Alaric Wolf is designing a batch of units to go against the Republic of the Sphere specifically to dismantle the Republic of the Sphere that is where the, the origin for the dom- so I'm like okay 
Knowing that, how would you tweet if you were a lyric wolf? What would you do? And you realize, okay, he was he would want mobility, but he's also he has just re- the wolf empire is relatively new. He hasn't fully built it out like the deployment zone. He inherited a bunch of, of inner sphere production sites. He brought in a bunch of stuff for the clan, you know, rep- uh, production facilities. But he still has to be very, very frugal, very, te- you know, like strategic on what he's he going to build, where he's going to put his resources, how is he going to get enough units built fast enough to invade Terra and hold it. It's not about winning Terra. It's about holding it against commerce. Because yep. if he jumps into Terra and he manages to win in a miraculous thing, and he just knows that's just the opening shot. It's holding the hard, the hard part. The hard parts afterwards. Exactly. Because yeah. he knows as soon as he gets through, he's not the only one coming through the wall. He's just the first one coming through mm-hmm. the wall, and then it's everyone's coming in after. How do you win? So, yeah, you know, Blaine coming up with the idea behind the thing, I'm like, I can make this. Alaric would make this thing neat. Uh, which still t- stayed with all of the core stuff that Blaine had. He had an idea in his head of how to work. I'm like, yeah, absolutely, no problem with that. I can make it meaner, uh, and we did. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's a lot of fun doing that. And of course, I don't do it alone in a vacuum. You know, I come up with my ideas. I run past Ray, run and flush past Randall. I past Blaine. Uh, we'll go play them. I actually had my player group play out those units. So all, all of the mechs that will be showing up, many of them for the first time in the battle for Terra. My player group, I've had them all sign NDAs, record sheets of all possible variants, blew the shit out of each other for, for like three, <laughs> three gaming sessions figuring out how we wanted to do it. Uh, and part of it is that, uh, and I'm going to tell you right now, once again, another little tease. Um, sorry to Mary, by the way, because if, if you really didn't know about the Worldwide event for last year, if this really was the first time you heard about it, I'm sorry. Um, I'll, I'll probably be sending it an email this this week telling. You. But anyway, uh, some <laughs> so some of the other stuff with with Tara is that uh, um, he he's what would Alaric do? Nobody can would would look at Alaric in the way he that he handles battles and structures and, and, and tactics and strategy and say he would not be trying to create new technology. He will create new technology. He will show up with a technological edge on Terra. He's going to have specially designed units to win and keep Terra, and he's going to use the best cutting-edge tech that he can to give him an edge on Terra. Uh, And that technology is going to be better than anything else out there. It's not going to be game-breaking, but you're going to look at it going, man, I, I want to swap out mine for that one. That one's better than mine. It's just different so that, stuff. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, different so stuff. A little teaser of what's to come. There nice. will be something on Terra that shows up. Told you what? It's not going to be the magic bullet that, that you know that, that suddenly wins everything. But you're like, yeah, that's better than mine. I, I want that one. Aliens. Okay. <laughs> uh, no. Um, you're all wondering what it is, aren't you? Oh well, yeah. Now I am. <laughs> You could sit there and see all the wheels are spinning now. Everybody's <laughs> going, Jesus, what is it going to be? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Think about the weapons that you have hated. Think of the weapons How that we've hated? Them. Yeah. What What do you need to defeat Publica's Fear? 
I'm not going to tell you. I'm saying these are the questions that Alaric yeah. asked. Like, what what do I need to, to beat the super heavies? What do I need to public? Hypersonic machine guns. Yeah, I spent months, <laughs> you know, working out with Blaine and Ray and Ray. Like, what would be the edge? What where would it come? What would, it, what would you need? Just blow oh. up Terra. Just blow up Terra. <laughs> Triple heat sinks. No, no. He's he's a Jade Falcon fan, so uh, that that is in his wheelhouse. <laughs> oh, nice. That fits. Mm. Um, you know, actually, one of the cool things I will say, especially for the Jade Falcon uh, and the Ghost Bear fans and stuff. Oh, one of when I say I'm so looking forward to what happened, the invasion of Terra. It's because in a lot of the stories, especially over the course of the Dark Age stuff. Not all of those factions really portrayed well. Some of them seemed like one-dimensional characters. In the Dark Age stuff? Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, it fit for the faction identity that they were going for at the time. But it didn't actually feel like characters you could relate with that you could really get behind. You're like, okay, now that's a parody of this. Now that's a parody of that. Now that's a... No. Uh, we're not having any of that. I will say the amount of work that has been gone through, we, we outlined every single faction. And we said, what is their identity as a people? What are the, the plot lines and things that are going on that we've established? What are the things that would should be there that aren't? What, what, what are they dealing with? What are their fears? What are their desires? What are, what are the internal structure? What, you know, like, it's not like they're, each faction is a unified whole. No, they've got internal conflicts. They've got uh, friction. You've got political plays within each sub-factions. And you've got all these things going on. And we didn't get a lot of it. The, the one um, that we did see a good job of, big nod to our, our ghost, band loving, ghost bear loving uh, hat-wearing fan out there, the is uh, we saw the Freebinder movement mm. within the ghost bears. As you really think about it, as Clan Ghost Bear is trying to actually integrate the Russell Hog Republic in a way that did not forcibly strip them of their identity and their heritage. Actually coming up with a way to making a combined nation. The, yeah. That is actually really cool. And the idea of a Freeminder movement just shows it wouldn't even be crazy. Like, crazy curveballs, other plots, plots, people dissenters other things happen machiavellian schemes and all that other stuff it would all be going on it would all be going on in all of these actions we just haven't seen much of it one of the nice things after we go through ill claim is that we'll beginning to we'll be see, systematically putting eyes on every part of those corners of the inner sphere telling the stories of what's happening in those factions as every faction in the inner sphere once terra gets taken has to redefine who they are and one. Well, that that's awesome because yeah. it's gonna be you're gonna have so much fun with it because really it is gonna be a new era of BattleTech. So you, you know, for for fans of the old factions, you're gonna need to know how they're dealing with it. And I think that's great yeah. that you guys are uh, hitting the nail on the head. Where we're gonna tell you or we're gonna show you what they've been doing and how they do. They're gonna deal with it, and that's I think yeah. that's what all the fans want. Right. Well, I mean, honestly, I mean, every it, it, there's a lot of stuff you look at history. Like, after World War II, Poland, France, Germany, England, all these countries had to, like, reevaluate who are they. America was a different cult culture after World War II from what it was before. 
this is normal. And to try to strip it down into some basic small sub subtext that works in a small box doesn't didn't make any sense. I'm like, no, this isn't clean. It should be dirty and messy. And we're setting the tone for the next hundred years of warfare hmm. with the, the conquering of Terra. Yeah, well, and it's and and that's the, the awesome thing about that is is that the factions have been so numerous and and so dis dis everyone that comes to the game of BattleTech can find a home yeah. where they can identify with and I think it's going to be awesome that you guys are going to go back through and and give a synopsis behind all of the factions to let people reestablish their identity and, and how they, they identify with a different faction. That'll be really, really cool. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun, especially because we're doing it all through the fiction. You know, you, you'll see <laughs> even better. All, yeah. All those different, like, Hey, there's a huge demand now for, for what they're calling short novels of 40,000 words. Uh, you know, and novellas are 20,000 words. We can tell the nice thing is it allows us to choose the product for these stories to go in based off of, uh, you know, like we can just simply assign whatever, like, Oh, this is a 20,000 word story. And this needs to be a 20,000 word story. Okay. That's this. Oh, this one needs to be bigger. Okay. Well then we can make it this, or we can make, you know, like we can make it. I will say the word count, I think blame uh, releases on social media. So it's, I'm not giving any breaking any rules or anything. But, uh, the draft for the battle for Terra committed 160,000 words. 160? Yeah. Standard novel I, length is 80,000. Yeah, so I know. That will he, be like the largest. This this is bar none. This is the largest novel that will ever has ever released for Battle. Well, thank you Sweet. for thank you for for letting him do that. Yeah. I know that I know that he had said that he he wanted to tell the story and yeah. When the story came in, a lot of things were, had to be removed or cut just to make that word count. And I, I know the fans will really appreciate the fact that he got to tell the story the way he wanted yeah. to because it's going to be awesome. I know yeah, that. Yeah, I totally agree. In fact, one of the funnest things, and I, I admit, I fought really hard against some of the, the parring of the, of the story. Because what he had originally <laughs> planned, what he and I had originally mostly, you know, like he and I had to help work out the plots. Uh, it had a whole lot of things in it that ultimately, uh, John Helfer has rightly said, we need to cut these off. These are their own tale. They don't need to be foot, footnotes in this other tale. They need to be able to stand alone. So that's part of when you're seeing the things like um, uh, uh, the, higher, the, the bringing in of the Wolf Dragoons in uh, uh, Divided We Fall. Um, that was an example of a story that was actually cut from the plan that we had for it. It, it needed to be its own thing. It needed to, to have its own space to spread its wings and really grow. Um, the events that happened over the course of uh, the battle for Northwind, that needed to be its own thing. Uh, the, the rise of several uh, Jade Falcon heroes needed to be their own thing. So the anvil, the anvil needed to be its own thing. It didn't need to be all included. So basically the, the editors went through with Blaine, and, and I can't imagine how painful this was. I, I wasn't a part. Uh, you know, like cutting pieces out of this book. And then you you end up with, okay, well, this is 2,500 words here. What are we going to do with it? I love that the honest answer was make it bigger. Release it make somewhere it else. Make it its own thing. Make, make it, it its, its own, own thing. thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I do know for a fact there were several scenes. Um, uh, I don't know that most people know this, but uh, the the draft that Blaine turned in is the seventh 
rewrite draft of the Invasion of Terra. <laughs> Holy crap. So, so when I make the joke that I don't actually know what happened, it's because the book has been rewritten seven times. I, I stopped being a part of it at like three or four. So there's so many yeah. things on there that, that I'm going to be reading it just like all of you geeking out at the first time. Cause I, I'm not <laughs> going to get it before it comes out. So I'm, <laughs> I'm right there with you guys. Um, but there was a scene that I do know that got cut. Uh, and it actually happened. One of the early ideas is that we wanted to show both Malvina and Alaric aging through the Sidco's. Because one of the things is that, you know, Malvina has kind of, in-universe, like for the fans, she's kind of become a one-dimensional character. And, oh, yeah. and, and and she shouldn't be. She's Just because she's dealing with the realities of, of recognized mental illness. And and in-universe, she's, you know, like, we, we've seen where Malthus was like, you do realize you're unstable. She's like, oh, yeah, I know. And she's just fully embraced. You know, so this is, I'm not... I'm not revealing anything that hasn't already been released, you know. But the question is, uh, that doesn't mean she's wrong. In clan law, you're only wrong if you lose. <laughs> yeah. And, and, if, and if you think about, yeah, you, you're talking about a genetically engineered culture that reinforces antisocial behavior. What would that do to somebody who has been in this torturous training program from the time they were children we saw it in you know in aiden pride you know the story of him coming through and crying as he's growing up going this isn't the way people should should treat each other you know that made him accessible the truth is malvina didn't start broken she was a fully dimensional person before she broke which is why she is now embracing the fact that she knows she's broken but she figures she's until someone beats her she's not wrong sure that's just wild though I yeah mean, and there were take there that were, concept that far right so take it all the way back to when they were so uh, i do know these parts got cut from the novel but you know like i i hope they end up getting put into something else because the story of of a character and ultimately does she it's you know, like we often say is this character redeemed? does she even need to be redeemed because she hasn't lost in her paradigm, in the clan paradigm. Wrong if you lose. No one's yeah. beaten her. Mm -hmm. And the only one that ever did beat her didn't stop her. Yeah. Her brother always supported her, always went with her every step of the way. Yeah. So she's not wrong. So even she has railed against reality that she has crafted head of what society should be how we should behave how do you bring that you know I, i'm a big proponent of the fiction should take the fans through the story and so when blaine and i were originally talking about it take the fans through the breaking of malvin take the fans through the breaking of alaric wolf because anybody that looks at alaric and doesn't realize he's very broken yeah i mean this dude without even flinching murdered his mother yeah and the only reason he was able to do it without even flinching, didn't pause, nothing, is that he had already planned it well in advance. He knew what was going to happen. He was just waiting to know what. How broken does someone have to be? So actually showing the way these two grew up helped to tell the story of you are now seeing these two titans go at it 
among all the various factions that are you know going after Terra. This is not just two people on a battlefield. Just just like the invasion of Northwind, there was like six six or seven sub factions in. There's a yep. lot of players and pieces just in that one battle. For the battle for Terra, it's going to be bigger. There is a lot of stuff going down. All the shit is hitting the fan, and it's all hitting at once. And yet you have to tell the story through the eyes of these characters, and you have these two larger-than-life characters that you need to make relate. So I had loved the youth, like we had told them at various ages through the Sibcos. I, I hope some of those scenes will show up. But just know there there were actually a lot more. And and there were a couple with Malvina that were actually some of my, my favorite scenes in the book. Just because they established, it was almost like that moment in where you realize he's been dead the whole movie <laughs> and you didn't oh. get it. It, yeah. it was moments like that where you see Malvina as a child where a decision was made either by someone against her or by herself. And you realize that moment will have repercussions that replay over and over and over and have ramifications on entire systems of worlds that she burns to the ground because of this. Uh, so, yeah. Really cool stuff. All stuff that I'm sure eventually it'll the various pieces of fiction work. Yeah, really cool fun stuff. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that I'm so out, glad man. fiction's driving the, the story again. Just yeah, so absolutely. glad. Yeah. Me too. Me well, too. anybody else have any other follow-up questions for Brent before we uh, take the interview to a wrap? I don't think so. What are you guys' favorite? How we go ahead and take a break. Pee break. Uh, oh, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> oh. He had a question. He had a question. Questions from Greg. Yes, I love those. What's the question, big man? Brent, what was your question? What, what you are you guys' favorite mechs? What are you guys' favorite factions? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm like the only one that's not wearing gear. What's going on here? Um, yeah, no, uh, Kel Hounds. Kel Hounds. So I'm, I'm looking forward to where they pop up next. Um, and You are uh, so, you, dude, you're going to be so happy. All right. <laughs> oh, we have we have kick-ass plans for the Kelhound. In Good, fact, we're sitting in front of a great big Great Death Legion picture, mm -hmm. and hey, I'll tell you, still alive. Ray and I have orchestrated the rebirth of the Great Death Legion, and you are going to freaking love it. That's that's awesome. I love it. That's Good awesome because I'm I'm all about Ooh. the Mercs. Oh yeah. So having having them back will be will be great. That, oh. In fact, one of the coolest things, you know, it was funny. We kind of inherited a weird moment after the jihad. The jihad started by decimating all the mercenaries. Yeah. And, you know, like when I stepped in and, <laughs> and started, you know, John and I were like talking about it. I'm like, okay, so here's the problem with the fact that we still really had very few mercenaries. Think of every single video game. Yeah. Almost all of them were mercenary units. And the reason yep. is because in a very complex universe, mercenaries are the most accessible way to get new players into the game. That's why. If you if you want someone doesn't know it from any of they've only been playing World of War and like okay fine I'll try this and they'll sit down okay who do I get to be all right you're gonna be a mercenary boom I'm in I'm ready to play let me roll some dice instead of okay let me give you a three hour dissertation on the history of House Three <laughs> no no let me be the mercenary I'm ready to blow stuff up right now you know that yeah you so, care uh, about the paycheck to... shoot the other side <laughs> that's right steal their stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so one of the coolest things about what happened after, uh, and I and I've said it publicly, 
so not breaking any rules but um you are it won't be called the age of mercenaries but in a very real sense the era after ilkland is the age of mercenaries because there will be very good in-universe reasons an explosion of mercenaries because there's going to be so much really salvage left on the pile <laughs> well mercenary units in all their shape sizes and forms. i mean just just on, if you think back to like the you remember the fourth succession war yep there were mercenaries all over the place there were little mercenary units out on every every of everything they're bouncing around they're you know checking contracts they're doing everything you know finally the wolf dragoons got together and they they uh, you know, worked with the Kel Hounds and, you know, reinforced the power of uh, uh, the, the MRBC. And the, 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 there was a reason for mercenaries to be. Uh, we have really suffered over the course of um, the Dark Age by not having mercenaries, little bitty units all over the place ready to be hired by the highest bidder to go run amok and blow stuff up and take stuff. I mean, like, that's like that right there is the heart and soul of every small game. Yep. So you are going to see mercenaries faction everywhere. stuff. What was that, Matt? Who wants to use their own faction stuff? You let somebody else take the <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, we I can like hire mercenaries for that. <laughs> Tommy's got a little a three or a, a <laughs> he's got a thing for crazy people. He's a Jade Falcon and a Curita fan. <laughs> oh, nice. You know, you know what though? Um, you are going to see stories for both of those factions that are unlike anything you've ever seen, and that are going to make you more excited than ever to be in those factions. Uh, incredible playable battles, events, scenes, uh, plots. Uh, I will also say, especially because both of those factions have seen. Um, plot lines kind of forced on them that felt rushed not organic oh almost yeah. like somebody else forced a storyline on them and they had to <laughs> they, um, they that's read not like going to be the case they read the cover of yeah. their field manual and they're like oh i can write an entire story about them <laughs> nice <laughs> nice so yeah you're gonna see the the in internal plots machinations and and just the depth to the cultures on both of them and they're so drastically different. But you know, like anybody that is a, a real Jade Falcon fan that does not think that that clan has a culture, they absolutely have a culture, and it is deep. They are smart. Uh, they are technically savvy. And considering they decimated their own scientist cast and almost started over from scratch uh, within a couple of generations ago, like there's a lot of subplots and things going on in that, so you're, you're going to love the stories that are going to happen over the next three years uh, for Jade Falcons and, and House Caritas. And I and I will say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, they both of those factions are going to be incredibly important to the story of what happens to the universe. Going. Hopefully, an audiobook. <laughs> yeah, hey, you guys are you guys reading doing the audiobooks? I, I do much as we have in the past, much as possible. Yeah, time. Uh, so honestly, the only thing holding back audio now is that we are uh, scooping up every uh, everyone that we know of that can uh, actually do the the recordings. Uh, so uh, the audiobooks, John and I fought 
long and hard for to try to get it. And actually trying to, it, Catalyst wasn't fighting against doing audiobooks. It was just being able to deliver audiobooks uh, was a growing, was a growing pains were involved. It, it was not something you could, we're really good at books. Audiobooks <laughs> is a totally different. <laughs> no, it's not the same thing. Source it, um, source it out, man. Source it out. And that's what we've we've done. Instead of trying to do it ourselves, you know, finding people that can that we can source it out to, so that they can each be going on their own. And so we are ramping up incredibly quickly. Uh, there, you're going to see a huge push on on audiobooks. It's just beginning now. Uh, so we are totally behind audiobooks. It's going to come out and make the the fiction more <laughs> accessible. <laughs> uh, one of the hard parts, though. I'll throw this out is that when you're doing audiobooks, we have this backlog of what a hundred plus novels, and then we also have the new stuff. Well, we need to be doing both. So you'll see audio audio content coming out for new books and then old back and forth stuff as as we balance up the ends of that spectrum. Um, just to try to keep all of the you know various areas in the fan base fed with the cool stuff to see. Very so cool. with the Speaking comment fan based, I've usually had some conversations with um, fellow <laughs> faction fans, and they kind of wondered why, in the past, some some factions seem to go dormant, and uh, there's nothing we can do about that now. But where there's nothing we can do about that in the past. But uh, it, it's great to hear that there's going to be more offshoot. Um, refilling of those of those empty empty plate spaces and slots that are going to come in the future so I, I totally agree exciting yeah uh it's been really exciting uh to see how many authors we've added uh we, with the excitement around battletech over the years uh you know once john and i really got together and we started doing stuff and like i said 37 pieces of fiction to have that many pieces of fiction for any individual game line uh in active development at the same time is incredibly rare uh, but it was because we realized there were so many uh, corners of the of the inner sphere that deserved some camera time. They they had been neglected. We need to put eyes on here, and when we do, we need to be able to to tell a story that explains why the camera wasn't looking. Oh okay. yeah. Uh, instead of instead of just ignoring. Instead of just like oh here it is happening there. Yeah. Don't tell me that it was suddenly peaceful in the of Anopis, <laughs> why we weren't seeing any stories of it. I'm not buying that one bit. Nah. <laughs> so, so so can I can I make a statement then that yeah. there's a lot of stories to be told. Yes, there are. Do you do you see the cadence of fiction release trying to stay where it is now? Like like what we've had over the summer, you know, starting about March, we've had a book come out what roughly once one every month maybe do you see that as as a a cadence that will carry forward will it be that is more excellent will it be yeah there seems to be a a lot of stories (laughs) well there are and the truth is the more we tell as soon as we get ill clan it opens up for a whole lot more stories you know what i mean uh and just so we're clear when i say ill clan that's originally it was solicited as the ill clan uh, i don't want you guys thinking oh a clan is obviously taking over the terra because we're calling it ill clan no that may actually be a joke now like we, <laughs> yeah ill clan was the old the old thing that that we inherited uh i've been calling it the battle for terra it is absolutely the battle for terra sure um so don't think that 
just because you're a fan of the clans that you're going to take Terra because you do not know what's going to happen. It, it, yeah, there's, yeah. Clans aren't the only ones that have their eyes. But is... uh, do I see a change in the cadence and the pacing? I think if you look o- uh, over the last three years, uh, you'll realize that there has been a steady increase in the pacing. And the, the pacing that you see now is going to... It is just a shadow of the pacing that we are building toward as the line continues to garner more and more fan support as we continue to expand uh, our pool of authors. You know, like uh, Michael Sierra Vela did a great job with Greywatch Protocol. Yeah, that was did. his first fiction for us. Yeah, yeah we, did. we had him on last Bringing podcast. Bringing a new generation of authors like um, Brian, let's see, what was it? Uh, Honors Gauntlet. Uh, Brian Young. So yeah. when, when John and I were uh, we're deciding that we wanted to have fiction drive the line. You know, like we are we're going to use all the off and I and that we weren't going to do predetermined uh, word counts uh, for the stories. Like, no, let the stories be the stories that they need to be. Authors tell us how much you need. Get if you want it bigger, pitch us why it needs to be bigger and tell us how. You know that kind of thing. Um, Brian is actually uh, kind of like uh, Michael Stackpole's project. Nice. Like, oh, okay. Mike, Mike personally says, uh, I'm excited. He, Mike Stackpole came to me after I took over the ring at Gen Con on the floor. And he's like, I heard the stuff that you have been saying about fiction driving the line for Battletech and how you're, you and John Helpers have been leading that. Is this true? And I said, yeah. Okay, then can I write for Battletech? Squeal! I gotta say, really <laughs> what... Yeah, when Michael Stackpole on the After Hours floor of Gen Con before day one says, can, can I write for Battletech? You know you're doing something right. You know, you don't say like, no uh, There's only one correct answer. I don't, I don't know, Mike. You know, we're, we're pretty full up. Uh, can I call you in like a year or two, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Can you write a test thing for me so I can see how you do it? Yeah, so, yeah, so I said yes. I, can't even say, I was waiting for you to drink before I said that, by the way. Um, yeah, so it, when I said yes, Mike, the next thing out of his words, like, I, I've got a guy, he, he took me over, and he introduced me to Brian. Uh, and Brian looked up, and he's like, who the heck is this guy? And then Mike told him what we were doing, uh, and, you know, and introduced him to me and to, to John Helpers. And, and and from then on, Brian was like, he was in. I mean, it, it was three minutes of, of Mike introducing, and, and Brian's like, yeah, Give me the, what do I need to write? What do I need to write? And then it took us like a year and a half to actually get him the, the thing of like, here's what we need you to write. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it's been really cool as, as more authors, uh, more creators, uh, you know, uh, more audio book folks uh, come in and, and, and join the team as, as John fleshes out the, the, a wider cadre of authors uh, so that we can tell more stories. The truth is, I think that over time you'll see us speed up the variety of things coming out. And ultimately it would be great if we were releasing short fiction, a novella, a short novel, and a novel so regularly that you never felt like there was much. I'm saying all those things need to come out every single month because I, the, up until now, uh, up until the explosion of electronic, the, the idea in general was that release, you can't release a novel a month. It, it's too much that the, the fans like the fan base in general has a finite amount of money to spend in any month. Uh, and so if you're constantly feeding them, you're taking 
revenue away from something else. I don't actually ascribe to that. I, I think that if you do something cool enough, they will. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 my argument has always been, at this point, they've got 35 years worth of gaming material on their shelves. They don't need us to keep producing stuff to keep playing Battletech. The whole rest of their life without ever buying another product. So the only way that Catalyst stays in business producing Battletech is produced by producing stuff that's so cool the fans can't not get it. They have to go have that. I gotta find out what happens next. You, you gotta keep delivering the cool stuff that actually delivers uh, on 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 the desires of the fan base, uh, and and that's the only way that you keep. And obviously, we seem to have hit hit the right nerve on packaging the product and telling the stories and and how to you know drive the, the line with fiction and stuff because BattleTech has hasn't been this this popular. Um, there hasn't been this big a global excitement uh, around BattleTech since the early nineties. I mean, Clan Invasion era. You, you, that's how far back you. Have. Yeah. In it's... fact, I'll even say because uh, most people don't quite realize, like even in the heyday, like when they were doing the you know the FASA era uh, box set, they were actually out of print for more than sixty percent of the time, and, and they were selling huge numbers. They were having giant print, but. More than half the time, they were out of print. <laughs> Since we released the beginner box in the Game of Armor Combat, specifically targeted at getting new people in playing the hobby, playing Battletech, uh, we have actually... My goal was always, I want 12 months consecutive in print on store shelves without it being out of print. Uh, in all honesty, we may have missed that by little windows, but for the bulk of it, we have now gone twenty months straight. I was gonna say when it first came, these things on store shelves. When it first came yeah. out, it was hard to get a hold of. But after that, right? Well, yeah. Well wasn't done. It, wasn't it that? Wasn't it that you were? We were waiting for the shipment to show up for Gen Con when we were releasing it. <laughs> wasn't it? We, we were waiting with for bated breath just to have them show up for Gen Con for that yeah. first run. And those were the advanced ones that we had flown in. Yeah, like literally, yeah. They, they pulled the two the first like it was supposed to be two hundred copies. I think it was like one hundred and eighty seven before they're like, okay, that's it. We got to do it, and they they threw it on the on the back, literally in like a truck or a back of a van, and drove it to the airport and threw it on right before they closed the room. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, if you think that sounds crazy? It arrived, if I remember correctly, uh, it arrived at one fifteen in the morning. Jeez. I know it was something. I know it was something crazy. Yeah. So, Randall Bills is standing on the tarmac outside of uh, what looked like just airline hangar warehouses, going somewhere in this giant facility. Some building has two hundred boxes of the box set, and I, and I have to find that one fifteen. He's like knocking on random doors, hoping to set off to security, so security will come out and see who is this crazy person. So he's like. Somewhere in there is boxes I'm supposed to get. I don't know how he did it. He actually managed to find a security guy that opened a door and found the boxes, and they, we, we got the things in the middle of the night. He drove it up. But yeah, like one fifteen in the morning, knocking on random doors, trying to get caught by security so he can get the box. That's the knocking That's... Gummy, uh, in your back pocket that comes in handy in those <laughs> mornings. <laughs> yeah. Can you just imagine being the guy that goes to the airport in the middle of the night going, no, no, I'm with Battletech. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we clearly need to open the door. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. Well, the, oh, do you not know that? Then the security guard goes, 
what faction are you? And you're like, oh no. <laughs> oh, oh, that be cool. This could be a yeah. loaded question. <laughs> you so may awesome. or may not get your boxes depending on how you answer this. Yeah, or you get locked up by Homeland Security. Yeah. You're an idiot at the middle of the night and then banging on a horse saying, battle something. So, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you can just imagine the look on Randall's face like, okay, I'm going to do it. If I get arrested, Lauren's going to have to bail me out. Or <laughs> is he? Yeah. Well, Any more questions, guys? I mean, just to answer Brent's question, Andrew and I have been Wolf's Dragoons since we've been in the game, so... Oh, here we go. But we, have a, awesome. we have a moratorium on it, mentioning Wolf's Dragoons. <laughs> Wolf's Dragoons, Wolf's Dragoons, Wolf's Dragoons! Okay, so yeah. I gotta ask. Cause, uh, I've been hot and cold on Wolf's Dragoons. Uh, the thing that always bugged me is that nobody ever paid attention to Gamma. When... The jihad happened. Alpha and, and Beta basically died. Gamma was the only one that survived, and yet we still, they never got any screen time. Nope. <laughs> and it wasn't until MetClicks, and I can't believe that that, were, that phrase even come out, but it wasn't until MetClicks that they, when they did the Wolf Dragoons, they actually did Gamma yep. Regiment. Yep. And then still, nobody ever talked about Gamma. Like the invade, the House Korea hires them, and they. They invade uh, uh, House Davian. They do all this damage, and I'm still like waiting for someone to talk. I was so freaking excited that Blaine, when he did um, "Divided, uh, we Divided Fall. We Fall," yeah, first fiction I've, I've ever seen that was all about Gamma. Yep, that's because Dragoons yeah, fans don't like to talk about Jihad, <laughs> <laughs> and rightly so. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it. No, uh, it, it it was fun. It, I'm I'm excited that that uh, their goons are back at the forefront and, and helping lead the story again. Yeah, um, it's it, it. To be honest with you, it really doesn't matter what what the faction is. Quite honestly, I'm just so excited that the fiction's going again and that the story is moving. It's that that's the part that's most exciting. It helps us that you set such a low bar. Just, just, just write something. I'll be happy. Just write some stuff that I can that I can keep. Find another battle to play, right? So, yeah. no, it's. It, but everyone has been doing such a fantastic job, and and um, it, it's fun. I mean, like you said, there hasn't been a higher point that I can remember that, of BattleTech. I mean, our our little community that we have with Wolfnet, we have so many players coming back yeah. that are asking, you know, well, how do I get caught up? Where, where do I go to, to, to understand where we're at? Um, it, it's, it's so much fun to, to see that happening. I just, I can't wait for Gen Con. <laughs> I, oh, I can't yeah. wait Seriously. for the next Gen Con. Oh my gosh. Well, it, here's the crazy thing. This next Gen Con, we're going to have all those box, box set products. Out. Just, just yeah. imagine we may have to get a bigger booth. Yeah, we're going to have to have a bigger booth. Or just take over Shadowrun completely. You know, just take over that space in the booth. we got product <laughs> to go. So uh, i got to ask, because you guys are diehard drag, Dragoon fans, how are you feeling in the 3150 era uh, with how many of those Dragoons in the units at that era 
actually have bloodline ties to the clan wolf bloodlines that the original dragoons came into the inner sphere with. Right. Um, yeah. Blood veins are the honor name. I th I thought it was I th it was the first time that it had really come up with uh, Blaine and Divided We Fall, right? Where there was the, where there was distinct the distinction or where it was important that you were able to trace your heritage back, and yeah. because before this time period, you were just you were you weren't, and it was known, right? You were it, they made a comment in uh, one of the uh, wolves on the border when Deacon Frazier became a captain because of the fighting and, and the attrition and oh you haven't gotten your orientation yet because right. he didn't he didn't understand what the meeting was about jumping ship from Kirita because of, of their treatment um, that was an interesting aspect of Divided We Fall that I liked a lot um, okay and then, uh, you know, we had Helf or not Helfers. Helfers is going to be on later, but um, oh, cool. we had Smetzer on. And I asked him the question um, because there wasn't a lot of discussion about honor names in Divided We Fall. And I, asked, and I asked him about whether that was still a thing or not. And he says, oh, very much so. It's just, it didn't fit into, you know, Divided We Fall at that time. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'm not going to complain at all. <laughs> that was actually one of the the most vehemently argued about points behind the scenes. Uh, in fact, even just all the lead up and stuff for the, the invasion of Terra and everything else is just uh, like, who are the wolves? Did we lose him? Froze. Oh, shit, he froze. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll Wait. let him come back. Oh, there he back. is. And I suppose that's a... Are you busy back? Am I back? There you yep, are. you're back. Oh, we can, we can hear voice. you. We got voice. Okay, cool. I'm going to finish that statement. Yeah, the, the question <laughs> is how many of the Dragoons have a, a bloodline tie? Because we talked about the only way that they could have rebuilt to the strength that they would need to be to lead the invasion of House Davian and kick ass so thoroughly was you know heavy reliance on their eugenics program you know cr keeping those iron wombs cranking and stuff and 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 so you just assume that they would be using a lot of the clan wolf bloodlines in that but then you realize they had a hundred plus years worth of non-wolf origined warriors that would have earned a place in the breeding program and ultimately, how how big, how important is it for those folks to to have been had clan wolf blood in any way? How do you guys feel? You know, the the big question there is is that with outreach and the iron wombs, I mean, did did they get reestablished on the Ark Royal? The dragoons had always the dragoons had always found able warriors and orphans. Yes. And with the jihad and the things that were happening, I, I I firmly believe that that's that's a major way that they continued to build um, their T O and E, um, just because setting 
setting up and moving iron wombs unless clan wolf and exile was giving them access was that a viable solution for them i i don't know i i don't i'm not i, I don't get i don't no one calls me to talk about these kind of things so <laughs> well no i mean the really the question comes down is, <clears throat> we all had our own uh assumptions on that and they were drastically different we had we had a whole bunch of people in the fact check saying yeah there's nobody in the wolterguns that has any bloodlines to the wolves at all so they wouldn't care and i'm like i'm having a hard time buying that at all yeah, for that, me i was like i was thinking like 50 true. plus percent would be wolf um yeah that wasn't true yeah thank you yeah at all but the idea of the, the orphans and, and and stragglers and stuff yeah you're totally right uh, if i remember correctly and please correct me if i'm wrong um, thirty-one, thirty-two-ish. There was really gamma, and then the other regiments just basically had like what a battalion each. Yeah, my understanding at that time was is they had gamma was fully fleshed out. Um, Alpha had one battal had three battalions, one inactive, one more administrative, and one training. Right. But they really had not talked a about. Delta, Epsilon, uh, or or uh, Beta at that right. time. Uh, that there was a big there was a big move to the Striker battalions. Yeah. Um, and I think the Striker battalions just fit better for the era and the type of battles that are being waged. Um, Zergoons just created a formation that was unique, but it fit for the type of battles that were. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's it for uh, interviews. We're going to take a hard stop right there and uh, pee break. We're going to pause. Um, we're going to go ahead and take a break. <clears throat> uh, this will be the history brief brought to you by Aries Games and Miniatures. A lovely, uh, lovely history brief by our own uh, Charles Gideon. On this episode of WolfNet History Briefs, diligent surveys instigated by ominous nightmares become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Hello WolfNet and welcome to another installment of WolfNet History Briefs, where we look at what happened this month in the Battletech timeline. I'm Gideon. Here we go. 27th of September 3048, Vincent DuPont stood on the bridge of the jump ship he commanded 770 light years outside the inner sphere. The jump ship, the two attached dropships, and all 53 souls on board were his responsibility. What wasn't his responsibility was their next destination. That fell to Arabella Bradford, commander of the mission. After two years of working with this crew beyond the known reaches of space, his crew had proven to be dependable. So dependable, that maybe he used this moment to reflect on what led them to this place. More coreward than any recorded journey before. DuPont, Bradford, and their crew were members of Comstar's Explorer Corps. The Explorer Corps was born under the auspices of Primus Adrian Sims. In just 15 months, the Explorer Corps went from an idea to setting sail on the Black Seas. Sims first proposed the service to the First Circuit at the end of 2959, and the Corps' first mission launched early in 2961. 
The official purpose of the Corps was to seek out lost colonies, star league caches, and maybe even discover the fate of the SLDF who left in Kerensky's exodus. This, of course, is Comstar, so nothing is as it's presented. Many believe the Corps was really formed to spread the word of Blake to those lost among the stars and to ensure Comstar's technological supremacy in the inner sphere. Both assertions are true, but do little to explain the urgency with which the program was developed and launched. The real reason Comstar risked dozens of jump ships in deep space was because Primus Adrian Sims had horrific nightmares. She came to the First Circuit and detailed a dream she had in which Jerome Blake came to her and warned her of threats in the far reaches beyond the periphery. Despite Comstar's reputation for mysticism, the First Circuit took the practical approach and gave the Primus six months off so she could receive psychiatric services. The nightmares did not end, however, and after her return, Primus Sims shared a new, terrible vision. This time, it wasn't Blake who came to her, but Conrad Toyama. For those not familiar with the name, Toyama was Blake's successor and the first Primus who pushed Comstar into the pseudo-religion it was known as throughout the Succession Wars. Reportedly, he's also the one who came up with the name Comstar after he was electrocuted in a workplace accident. After being shocked, he said Richard Cameron came to him and whispered the word in his ear. Now, back to Primus Sims. She told of a new vision where Toyama gave similar warnings about the far reaches of space, but this time terrifying creatures set upon a map of the inner sphere, devouring it and burning what they didn't consume. Some of these creatures may sound familiar to you. A metal snake, green birds of prey, demonically possessed horses, and even a six-legged bear. Finding these threats and preventing the devastation of the inner sphere and Comstar with it was the real catalyst for the formation of the Explorer Corps. Hindsight has led many conspiracies to surface. Rather than believe Primus Sims possessed some sort of higher mental awareness, People point to 2825, when Comstar chased the mysterious Minnesota tribe into the deep periphery. These clan refugees, they assert, must have provided information about the other clans and the visions were really a guilty conscience or an anxious mind boiling over into her dreams. To date, I have been unable to pin down any evidence of these claims beyond rumor, innuendo, or blatant political manipulation. This brings us back to presenter Vincent Dupont, a thousand light years from home. I wonder if any of these things crossed his mind, or if he was even aware of them at all as he gave the order to activate the Kearney Fuchida drive to send his ship, the outbound light, into an unmapped system. I also imagine his and the crew's excitement upon their arrival and seeing jump ships around an obviously settled world known to the clans as Huntress. I can't help but speculate how this joy quickly turned into confusion and horror when the jump ships that approached were of no type ever seen before, and they spewed forward waves of Omnifighters, another technology never dreamt of by the crew. I say that I guess at these moments, because there's no existing record of this first meeting or witnesses who are willing or able to shed light on the event. Initial reports coming from Comstar portrayed the clans as gracious hosts to the crew, giving them tours of their home and explaining their culture. From what I can glean from sources, both within Comstar and without, 
is this was further misinformation from Comstar, who were trying to prevent renewed conflict following Tukiad. Video evidence of the crew being subjected to the clan's effective, if morally dubious, chemical interrogation does exist, and the seven members of the survey team from the outbound light were eventually returned to Comstar, but their mental state was so tattered that they could provide no useful information about the clan homeworlds. The interrogations provided a flood of information for Clan Smoke Jaguar and Jade Falcon, however. Learning of the union of the Federated Commonwealth prompted a renewed push for invasion as it appeared the Inner Sphere may reform the Star League without Clan intervention. It cannot be known how much longer the Clans would have held off the invasion, or Operation Revival as they call it, if it weren't for the outbound light stumbling onto their homeworlds. It is an ironic twist of fate that the very program designed to stop Primus Sim's nightmare monsters became the spark to light the flames of war which have burned across the inner sphere for over a century. This is Gideon signing off, and remember, those who fail to learn from history are doomed. Hey, we're back. Thanks to Charles and Gideon for that lovely taste of history, like we always do. Uh... Come up next, we got uh, Clan Invasion Faction and Era Specific 350 Battle Reports with yours truly, Aaron, the Coach Crawl. Yeah, so um, Matt, Tommy, and I got together, uh, what was it, Thursday night? And Thursday, um, yeah. so we wanted to try something a little different with a 350 format. We wanted to try to, because we've had some people mention, like, hey, can we run a tournament once this gets off the ground? Can we do like you know, a faction-specific or an era-specific uh, tournament. And uh, obviously, yes, you can, because the format is, is, that's what it's meant to do. So we wanted to test it out a little bit. So we said, um, let's do a clan invasion uh, era. So since Tommy is uh, Jade Falcons and Matt's Ghost Bears and I'm uh, Wolf, uh, we all came up with a 350 list that uh, was... Uh, in the clan invasion era and it was faction specific to your clan um so uh, we were able to go on the mul master unit list and uh <laughs> there's there's one way to to do it and there's one way not to do it <laughs> so um <laughs> we discovered that uh, if you try to use if you try to search uh, on the mul for units you you can't uh, use the filters because not all of the data is there yet. But if you go to the factions tab and then click on your faction and then on the right hand side, it does list clan invasion, uh, jihad and, uh, ill clan error, I think. Um, so if you click on the, the clan invasion, then it will give you a full readout of the mechs, uh, battle armor vehicles, VTOLs, all the vehicles and stuff you need for that. And that's how we were able to go through and pick out our 350s. And um, then, so, uh, that was really cool. Numbers. Yeah, there's there's definitely some different numbers for each clan. <laughs> I think Matt, I think Ghost Bear's got the short end of the stick. <laughs> that's fine. It wasn't too bad, though. I think you had, what, 265 mechs to pick from? Like 261, I think Tommy had 120 more than I did. Yeah, Jade um, Falcon was like 324 or something like that. But it gave us a it yeah, gave there us a, some other interesting things. Yeah, it gave us a good range of uh, of mechs and vehicles and stuff to pick our make our 350 out of. And um, 
so Matt and Tommy uh, sparred off together. Uh, we are still trying to uh, really solidify our King of the Hill new rules. I don't know if uh, for those listeners who know the 350, um, we have been trying out a new scoring method for King of the Hill where at the end phase um, you take the size of your mech or vehicle, uh, not battle armor, but size of mech or vehicle that are inside the, the circle for King of the Hill um, you add those points to your end of the phase uh, score, and then the first one to twenty-five wins. Uh, it's it definitely it definitely enhances the go for the center uh, mentality, um, but there are some definitely different things. But uh, Matt, what what list did you take uh, Thursday night, or what was your two hundred point? Uh, what was your two hundred? I kind of did a hurried list, so I just did. Uh... Eight, eight units. I didn't add any uh, combined arms because I kind of wanted to get a feel for how it was going to play out with uh, just the unit list. Um, for the 200, I ran a Puma E at 31 points, a Blackhawk E for 40 points, Viper D for 42 points, um, and a stooping hawk D for 48 points, which came out to be like uh, 200 or 195. I think you were like 198 or something like that, weren't you? Yeah. Just shy? Close. Yeah, pretty close. And Tommy, what uh, was your list? Um, The list for the King of Hill match, I went with a uh, Black Lantern C for 52, a Warhammer 2C3. For 49, a linebacker Delta for 50, and a vulture Delta for 48. And yours came out right to 200, didn't it? Close. I think it was pretty close. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure everyone had skill fours, so it was pretty even there. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was pretty crazy match. Uh, <laughs> Tommy, how was your lead? <laughs> My my lead was pretty big. Um, there was a lot of tactics that I didn't do that Matt kind of did that kind of kind of, it's changing my ways of thinking of how to play. Um, with that type of uh, damage output that I was throwing down. Um, well, you threw out a lot of damage. Yeah, I had a lot of damage. Uh, the tactic well i'm not gonna i don't know if matt wants to say the tactic or not but the tactic is is switching up targets uh doing some of your damage to this mech and doing some of your damage split to the other mech um yeah i if i would have seen like and 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 like i would ask matt how much what do you got for your armor structure He's like, yeah, I got one structure left, and I was, like, yep, I'm doing ten dice to that. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a little overkill. <laughs> might, it might be a little overkill, uh, but in in Matt's case, I think he was splitting it up to different uh, targets with a, a plus one modifier for having a secondary target, uh, and whatever was the normal to hit modifier. But I think that's what won it. And then uh, me doing something stupid at the end. <laughs> so, well, uh, I, 
yeah, go ahead, man. I think during the game, I think during during the majority of the game, Tommy, you were rolling really well in initiative and getting a lot of hits for that heavy damage. Um, I was not because I was doing a lot of jumping and I tried using more Omni mechs instead of uh, second line heavier armored survivability stuff that had some small. It didn't pan out well for me because it's just a different way of choosing units and just trying to experiment a little bit. So the speed didn't really help as well as uh, some of the past uh, scenarios because, I mean, in, in Capture and uh, King of Hill, you just want to survive. Um, you get your size, larger size units in there, and they survive, and you're going to win the objectives, even if you you're still going to probably go to time. I mean, we we easily, Tommy would have won by going to time. Yeah, if you would have went to time, Tommy would have won. What was oh, interesting yeah. is is you, you both went with the majority of your forces towards the, the center uh, circle. Uh, I think your Puma was circling around the back end, wasn't it, Matt? Oh, yeah, and uh, a lot of those units got hit with a lot of good... The Tommy's initiative rolls were, were really good, and he was just totally hitting on uh, firepower. I was maybe making 25% of my shots, and he was hitting 75%, so it was just a matter of time before he was just going to yeah. blow me away. And he, he, I'd he, like to say thank you to Discord for bewitching my dice after they started. <laughs> we, we, we finally got the computer up and running, and we uh, streamed a little bit of the game on uh, the Discord channel. And My dice I, I, went cold after that. I, I, <laughs> I've never seen somebody roll so many ones. It was I think you I think you rolled seven ones on yeah. uh out of like twelve dice or something like that. It was it was wow. I couldn't believe it. But I, uh... it was interesting because you killed or Tommy uh destroyed two of Matt's mechs like right off the bat. And oh, yeah. <laughs> Matt's just sitting there like, Well, I'm done. There's no way and I was like, Well <laughs> you did do enough damage spread out that that you know, Tommy had some guys that were not looking so great, but uh, the minute the Discord stream went on, <laughs> Tommy started losing initiative dice, <laughs> and uh, and he couldn't hit a broadside of a barn to save his life. I, I do have to say, this is the first and only list, and it will be the only list that I go with a mech. Or a, a complete list without anything that has jump jets. I was surprised you did not have a single mech with with jump jets, and that is not like I you. Do not like that. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. Um, and I miss my advanced tech. Yeah, but um, eventually uh, Matt did wither down a lot of Tommy's units, and uh, even though Tommy had a pretty substantial lead on the King of the Hill score, I think it was like 17 to 6 or something like that for a while. Yep. But, <laughs> but when you when you start losing mechs, they, they can't score points for you. So it was uh, in the end, and, and we, we forgot to accurately time it, but I'm sure Tommy would have won if we, we actually kept time. But, um, yeah, Matt actually did end up pulling that one out, so... I do know that um, MUL probably shouldn't have had a couple units on the Black Lantern. Uh, Black Lantern, I'm looking at Black Lantern. 
on the uh, Jade Falcon list. I don't know, but if when it, when a unit says Clan Snow Raven Space Marines and it's able for <laughs> Jade Falcon, I am sure that's not right. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, not. that was for almost every every faction. It was on it was on both of our lists, and there's got to be something something we're missing on that or something with the site that is enabling just that. a name it's just the name of a unit you have the same thing with the mountaineers and urban assault and that kind of stuff you look at the dragoon faction list they have the same thing it's just the name of a unit it, oh. it has no clan affiliation to it i gotcha so you could so it is a legal list no, I, yeah. I could i could delete the snow raven portion and just put jade falcon <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, i think it's more of uh the the Snow Raven is maybe like the quintessential version of that, but everybody has some version in their military of that unit, so hmm. that's why like, it gets the the general the general mark. I don't know. It just the if people listening on, if you're, you're, if you're creating your 350, look at the clan Snow Raven Space Marines. If you're trying to min max the whole issue. They do two at short, two at medium. They're only a car two, and they have four armor and one structure. Well, if you add that up to a total, that's almost like the same armor structure you have for your gnome battle armor. Uh, that are, yeah, they're they're they have a PV of eleven, which is that's not bad. All right, but um, the other infantry guy I had was. Uh, Eben Kish squad clan heavy foot infantry. He was only a short range of one, medium range of one, only one armor and one structure, but he was only five PV with a car one. <laughs> so and... I had two of those and two of the clan space Marines. And I had a heavy, uh, Maxim heavy hover transport that had it six. I could fit all my infantry into the <laughs> transport. And Brent, I don't know if you know this, but foot infantry is really good in Alpha Strike. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, they can do damage. They good. They. Uh, uh, yeah, I played Alpha Strike many times. I've never played foot infantry with them. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things. That's the one of the things that we've been trying to do with uh, this 350 tournament list is encourage combined arms. So we're we're doing a lot with infantry and. There's some really neat pieces out there. There's so many good, and you pair them up with a good transport, and it's it's a thing of beauty. And, and that's that's what I like about. It. I like I like the maneuverability. That's what. Yes, I was completely completely missing out on my Wolf and C that I normally <laughs> run. Um, it's like your crutch now. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, I want to jump 20 inches. <laughs> it's, I know. Just, it's not I fair. Jump 20 inches. It's not fair. <laughs> but now I also added the Hero Falcon or Hyro Falcon or however you want to call it since I always misuse names. Uh, Alpha, which also jumps 20 inches. So Yeah, that's a capture the flag beast right there. Um. Yeah, but yeah, mode. I think the tip of that of that game was you're never out until you're out. Because <laughs> Matt's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think so, man. And sure enough, all, all we have to do is just stream every game Tommy's on on Discord. That's all we got to do. 
Those yeah. stupid aluminum jade falcon dice go right down the crapper. <laughs> You're just upset about be worn down Battle too. Barn. You're just have to get another pair. <laughs> yeah, the Battle Barn that was a bad one. <laughs> but um, for the future, though, um, are we gonna? Yep. What's that? Well, yeah, the uh, the streamings we have done and the uh, taped video of. 350 games were allowing to be made public. We, we got a bunch of those. We're probably ready to start editing and maybe share. Yeah, hopefully this week I'll be able to get to edit. Uh, we've filmed, um, what do we do, about three, three 350 games at the Battle Barn in uh, Indianapolis. And uh, yep. hopefully we'll be able to get those up on the YouTube channel here soon. Uh, we're also going to be doing a short, uh, we're going to try to do uh, a series of five-minute videos on uh on uh, the 350 format but um also we're gonna it actually worked out pretty good thursday night we kind of streamed uh, the game and then also in the same page we had uh gold bishop uh painting his mechs and and uh <laughs> he doesn't have his microphone on so we kind of uh started uh play by playing his uh his painting and it was it was quite a good time so that was my that was my little mini town hall because I wasn't able to make the town hall uh, Saturday, but um, sounded like it was a good time. Yeah, Andrew, a lot of good a lot of good uh, conversation again. Relapse. Oh, we we talked about some of the things that we we had uh, from last night. Um, another really good turnout. A lot of a lot of folks uh, showed up. Had really good conversations. Um, Again, it's always fun to, to meet the people in the regiment, and a lot of guys had their cameras running, so you get faces with names, and um, just good time. I think we'll probably try and do that each month. I know that uh, James, I think, likes doing it when he's on, when he's doing his uh, weekend. So with uh, the Air Force, <laughs> so when he's stuck in the hotel, it gives him something to do. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, we're getting more R &R. and more people. We're getting more and more people into the regiment and on the Facebook page and uh and listening, so that's awesome. It's uh it's kicking it into high gear, so uh how many how many members do how many members do we have now? I think it's like five hundred and sixty or something like that on the Facebook page. Nice. I think the regiment's up to uh I think we're like slowly trying to find places for the people that just wanted to be name and only, because uh, we're getting a lot more active players in now. So we might have to bump it up to four battalions again. I don't know. I doubt it. But three three battalions we is enough. We need to have some of those. Uh, we need to have some more of those uh, multi language happenings going on because hey, we're gonna do that every every podcast multi-language uh, introducer oh that's right i forgot about that <laughs> when we were talking about the map <laughs> but um should we do some shout outs brent you got anybody you want to shout out mm. actually yeah give me a second here who is that? Looks like you got a whole stack of books there of uh, all kinds of new authors and stuff. Uh, what are we looking at? 
They've already I got, got all kinds of good stuff back there. <laughs> you can't tell. But... <laughs> nice. There you go. Battletech bookshelf. Nice. Yeah. All right. So, James and Jennifer Bigsby, big shout out. Say hello. Um, got a funny email from them because they didn't realize they were going to be in the uh, the character decks that we just released. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, and then there was this other one. Give me a second here. Character oh, decks. Since you got a minute, how's my portrait coming? Who's asking? <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> Have I not said that to you? <laughs> no. I haven't seen anything Dude, it's yet. cool. It's really I know. Cool. That's why I'm excited to see it. Did you Did you yeah, have to do a landscape so cool. card to fit them all on it? or? I'm going to show everybody else. Yeah, it's, it's a 5 by 7 card. That's awesome. We're not the only ones that make fun of you. I think that's the first time the guest has gotten in on the on the side. Oh, no. on, on the fat oh, joke? No. Yeah. You guys thought I forgot, huh? <laughs> Okay, let's see here. The I'm going to go... The for the beard. <laughs> it looks like your beard let's has see. grown back uh, from my mother yeah, butchering it. It's unruly. <laughs> All right, I'm going to do a shout-out to two group player groups. One is from David Wadsley in Australia, who has a who um, got his player group to all jump in on the uh, the backer portraits. And submit their unit. So theirs is the first Ballarat training cadre in the Steiner space. And these guys, it's I think they got 11 different players to, to do the portraits. And then they submitted all of their, their unit history and stuff. And they sent me pictures of their painted mech. It was friggin' cool. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, huge shot. That was awesome. Uh, and the other one is a Merc unit called the Hamasakis, Hamasaki's Hussairs. Um, so yeah, big shout out to them. I don't automatically have a note of who it was that submitted those, uh, but uh, they were one of the other ones that submitted actually for their player group and their unit and got stuff in, which I thought was pretty cool. So, that is very cool. Uh, I just love when the fans go Thanks. all the way down the rabbit hole and run them up. So, there you go. There's my shout outs. <laughs> awesome. My shout out. My shout outs out to uh, Matthew Cross. Um, I'm. I'll just leave it as thank you very much, and uh, I'm looking forward to my package. <laughs> Andrew's always talking about his package. Well, he, he doesn't see it very often. <laughs> Got to use mirrors. Mirrors? <laughs> oh, that's mean. <laughs> <clears throat> I, use, I use a car mirror, too, so it, you know things that appear Seem bigger. <laughs> <laughs> object may appear <laughs> bigger. bigger than they appear. <laughs> uh, Derek's. Oh, um, whew, I don't know how to follow that up. Um, <laughs> well, I, nobody else has done it yet, so I'm gonna give a shout out to Gold Bishop Hassan. Um, doing a good job taking care of everybody in the regiment. We notice. We appreciate you, man. Um, yeah, that's it. Thanks, man. I'll jump in on that one. That would, that's he's been doing a hell of a job. Yeah. Tommy. <laughs> You've had all this time. <laughs> I know all this time. <clears throat> Matt, how about you? 
I would like to give a shout out to <clears throat> first responders and people taking care of wildfires. Um, it's a dangerous job, and uh, we're all hoping that uh, they all get put out and everybody gets home safe. Uh, community. Ditto. Tommy? I don't know. <laughs> so I'll shout out to um, to the the fan base that uh, jinxed my dice. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. Um, to the uh, Australian guys, I th- think Madrop is down there. Yep, Madrop's down there. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, everybody that listens, I guess. Well, I'm going to shout out Brent Evans for coming on the show. Thank you very much for doing that. My pleasure, guys. This is awesome. I think we could have gone six and a half hours. Uh- <laughs> yeah, easy. <laughs> easy. <laughs> um, I also want to thank uh, a bunch of the guys in the regiment are that are doing something really cool for somebody in the regiment. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention it or not, but uh, for those of you who know you who you are... Um, that's why we have this Battletech community, and uh, to help a guy when he's down. So, uh, for those of you who know who I'm talking about, just get ready because there's a whole bunch more coming your way. <laughs> so, I definitely I agree a, with that. I sent a big package. You sent a big one. I am uh, again, talking about my package. I'm <laughs> I'm waiting for we uh, to overload mailbox. I'm waiting for Catalyst to get me my stuff so I can send some of that stuff to this guy as well. So, Waves 1 stuff or just other stuff in general? Uh, the, the, the Clan Invasion set. Okay. I'm uh, donating one of mine to uh, this particular individual. So. Nice. But anyway. For you to get your uh, Clan Invasion stuff too. Yeah, and I'm gonna whore. I'm gonna donate one to him. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I already got dibs. I got dibs on all the elementals. Already. <laughs> no, no, no. Dibs. What? No, it is my stuff, and I get to do stuff. it. <laughs> you already you have stuff that's unpackaged. There's stuff that's still in packages in the basement. <laughs> yeah, they're right there. I brought them all up. You are the quintessential, uh, uh, oh my god, there's so many unpainted minis. <laughs> You're not wrong. So many. I, they all have That's a plan. The they all have a plan. Now, Brent, They're just here, available they for future campaigns, is what it is. Andrew's going to outlive need something, I got it. <laughs> That's right. And then if, you, if the players capture it, then they're going to have to repaint it so you can get a second one. And, yeah. I, I need two Dasher 2s more. Two more Dasher twos. Yeah, two. I think that's the first time that sentence has ever been. <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do with all those regular dashers? <laughs> uh, I'll take regular dashers over dasher twos every time. There you go. Send them to Brent. Oh, oh, oh I right. got all the dashes. I believe me, I got so many dashers. I'm a dasher fan. How many? How many? Units would you say that you have? How many mechs? I probably have. Carry the one. I probably have <laughs> 150 that were painted by camel specs. 
<laughs> I yeah, well, that's that's because you. That's just because you get to pick beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you not know that? That's how that works. Uh, yeah, I, I think I have 1,100 assembled. Everybody, everybody's being held from the 1,100 assembled. Uh, assembled, and then probably 5,000 unassembled. Good lord. In blisters. <laughs> See. I'm not the only guy. Yeah, you're not the I'm only not guy. The only guy. All right. Yeah, Andrew, feel... you're just a you're just a dropping bucket now. You're so just so, a dropping yeah. bucket now. So so you when know, it's funny when people go on the forums and they're like, oh boy, yeah, look, I just got I just got my one BattleTech case, and I think that's just so cute. Oh, <laughs> you got one? Oh, good for you. So so when Iron Winds runs out of product, do they just call you and be like, hey, just we'll do an IOU and uh, send over right. a crate? It's sad, but actually, they totally could. They totally could. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In fact, it's my player group. I have to get the schmelter back open. <laughs> oh yeah. I'll never forget. My player group was like, "Okay, so we want to run a new a new campaign with House Karita and uh, Comstar. Um, uh, can can you just buy all the mechs that both of those factions ever had?" And I'm like. I'll get three of each. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no <laughs> so I, I show up and I've got like trays and trays and they're like, wow, this is great. So I wanted to have four of these. I'm like, seriously, is this not enough for you? So like, yeah. That's my player group. Nice. It's good to have the man <laughs> in your player group. That's... Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they know it drives me nuts to use uh, like stand-ins. Like no, that, that means a javelin. I'm fighting a javelin. No, it's not. No, it's a pack hunter. No, it's you not. That's a javelin. Proxy. It's not the same thing. I'm just saying. I would not have charged this mech if that was a pack hunter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's my witching hour. Let's do the old howl. Or no, we got Matt's got to do. Right, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, it's uh way past Aaron Curl's uh, bedtime, so I'd like to thank uh, Brent Evans and um, with uh, us tonight. Uh, thank you, Brent. Thanks, Brent. My pleasure. You bet. Thank Thanks you. for inviting me, guys. And, and we'd like to uh, <clears throat> say very much that the community is still growing. There's lots of new things coming out on Catalyst. We can't wait for uh, a Hill Clan in the books, and uh, we have a great uh, evening and a pleasant tomorrow. No! <laughs> it's the howling. Andrew! Say it! Woof. <laughs> it didn't pick up the first time. Freaking dramatic pause, jeepers! Sucks. I'm, I'm muted. I'm muted because my Roomba kicked on and it's making a lot of noise. <laughs> <laughs> All right.